A shark has an extra I grew the teeth. mustache out to hide the nose hair. Oh god! <laughs> oh god! <laughs> and and welcome, yeah, to the Down and Front Podcast, the official podcast of downandfrontpodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for streaming. What we usually do here on the Down and Front Podcast is that we review movies, TV shows, and a bunch of other stuff, all while having our favorite beverage ready and handy and waiting. And tonight, we are going to be reviewing Us, the newest kind of thriller in theaters right now from writer, director, producer Jordan Peele, who is famous from Key and Peele, and who was also famous from Get Out. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, before we talk about all that amazing stuff, we're going to have a bit of a roundtable. So we're going to talk about who's here, what else we've been watching, and what we currently are sipping on tonight. So I'm going to toss it over to my best friend. We grow way, way, way back for forever. Uh, very excited to have him back on the show two weeks in a row. Mr. Mocha. Mocha, what's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight and what else have you been drinking? Hey, yo. What up, everybody? It is great to be back on this long stretch, which is going to be broken next week since I'll be traveling again, which is why we're going to make this one count. We're going to really savor these moments together, guys. Um, as for what I've been drinking tonight, uh, tonight I'm actually sipping on something local. It's this Brooklyn distilled uh, tequila. It's more of like a mezcal tequila called Standard Spirits Wormwood Agave. Um, it's really good. It tastes like a mezcal with a slightly less smoky taste. Um, unfortunately, I'm drinking it straight, and I don't really enjoy mezcal or smoky drinks that much, but it's still really good, so I'm enjoying it tonight. And as for what I've been watching... I, as of last night, I started my MCU rewatch in anticipation for Endgame coming out April 24th. Nice. We've got about a month left before this uh, kicks in, and I've got 21 movies to watch and as much of the uh, TV series that I can fit in. Probably not too much, but I've done so many different MCU rewatches because I do them at least for every Avengers movie and then like minimal ones for each other movie. But uh, this one, I'm doing it a bit differently. I'm actually running through the story in timeline order. So I started last night with Captain America, and tomorrow I'll be going to the theaters to see Captain Marvel uh, again as the second part before going on after that. So I'm pumped. Nice. Oh, nice. That's good stuff. Well, it's always great to see your face, and it's great to have you on. Great to be here. Oh, yeah. I'm going to toss it over to our very special guest tonight. Uh, we recently saw him on an episode back in Vice when we all collectively did not like that movie or was a bit of a disappointment uh we have ricky in the house in the building tonight ricky what's going on man hey. what you've been sipping on and what else are you watching well i'm currently sipping on water but i'm vaping lemon haze which is what's most important so if you're looking for that, yeah, I recommend true, it. True. Yes. Um what I'm currently watching is Billions and it's been on, I think it's on its third season now. I really like the show overall. It's like wealth porn and it's drama. I, I'm into it. But the last season and the beginning of the season has had this character played by Asia Kate Dillon, 
um, named Taylor Mason, who's a transgender um, man. And so I think that's probably one of the more interesting characters on TV right now, not just for the identitarian aspects, but she played, like, well, they play the fuck out of that role. So, yeah. And where are you watching Billions? Uh, I'm watching it on HBO. Oh, nice. Via HBO Go, via Mama's Comcast Xfinity login. True. She's the real MVP. Hey. I got my mom's Netflix for years. It's great. It's great. Does anyone well, not on their mom's Netflix? <laughs> my mom's uh, on my Netflix because I'm a good son. <laughs> oh, wow. My mom's on my Hulu, though, but I'm on her Netflix. We share. See? <laughs> See? I'm paying for my mom's uh, A-list, so that counts for something. Oh, wow. That's, that costs more than Netflix. <laughs> right. That's beyond. I'm a great son, not just a good son. <laughs> well, Ricky, it's great to have you on. Uh, great. I know I was super, super pumped to kind of get you. I think when we when this movie was announced, I was like, oh, you need to be on this episode. So I'm super pumped to uh, get your opinion because I think we all should enjoy this movie, but we'll see. Happy to provide it. Yeah. Uh, I'll toss it just to my other best friend, even more of a best friend than Mocha. We grew up together way back down south, uh, and we like, you know, casually sipping sweet tea together. Uh, Brylin, mouth of the south. What's going on, man? Uh, what you been watching and what you been sipping on tonight? What is up? You can't beat that crushed ice. There's no other substitute for it. Um, what I'm sipping on right now is I'm still working on a six pack of uh Evil Geniuses Beer Company, Stacy's Mom, Pale Ale. So I got a few of these still left over. Uh, yeah, I'm a slow drinker. Are you guys so. going to like cut to the Stacy's Mom? Like, can you edit it? Please. <laughs> oh, I don't think mom. we can afford that kind of a cut. <laughs> no, no, they definitely do not charge much for uh, cameos. Also, we were talking about like- Stacy's Mom like two days ago. What's that? I think this is a repeat Stacy's Mom reference. No, I mean, I, I've been drinking this the last three podcasts, and it's just a sixer <laughs> that I bought, so. Wait, it's the one six-pack? Yeah, your liver needs to be more destroyed. Three podcasts? Yeah. You need to consume more alcohol. <laughs> I appreciate the advice. Yeah, up your intake. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, it, that'll definitely happen uh, when I go to PAX this weekend, probably. Nice. Um, but what I've been watching uh, recently was uh, I took a... I took a trip down Theranos land and I listened to an eight part uh, podcast series called the dropout, which is all about Elizabeth Holmes and the story of Theranos and how that happened and why, why it actually becomes a downfall for her and everything. Just the, just the weird, crazy things that happen with it. And I also watched the HBO documentary about it called the inventor, uh, which I, I mean, HBO definitely does their documentaries really well, and I think that as terms of storytelling, how you craft a story, the inventor's probably a better way to capture, get a good like bird's eye view of what happened uh, during that time. Uh, but the dropout actually adds a lot of interesting story elements about the people in the uh, around the uh, sides while this was happening, watching it happen to her, and it gives us a little bit of aftermath information about her as well. So I thought they were both very interesting. I think this is like one of those business failures that's actually very interesting how it happened and everything and should be actually some that's required to learn about of how you don't do things this way too. So I think it was really interesting uh, case study that's going on right now. 
Uh, but I did want to give a shout out also to, um, I just finished watching the first season of Deadly Class and the first season of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. And I wanted to give a shout out to those showrunners for just keeping their shows as maturity as mature as possible. That they're not worried about toning down the violence, they're not worried about toning down the sex or anything. That they're staying as authentic to their source material as possible, but also giving people some very shocking visuals that may make them think a little bit more about what they're watching as well. So I really appreciate that. Nice. I accidentally actually listened to that uh, podcast, apparently, on our drive. I didn't even realize I listened to it, but I, <laughs> I did listen to that. I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't super interested into it, but it is a weird sort of scam. So if you haven't kind of checked that yeah. out, that's, um, it's definitely it's definitely worth a listen, at least, because it's surprising because they definitely talk about, especially people in Apple, um, they, they use the reality distortion. Uh, and so they talk about that along with how everything just kind of got bubbled up um, with this whole scam that happened with Theranos. So um, if you're interested, definitely uh, check it out because I think it's a, a pretty good, good listen. Yeah. Or you can and just we'll- watch a Joey and the Scammer video instead. But. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that scammer is. Scammer never does. Sure? You don't know Joanne the Scammer? No. Sorry. Log the fuck off, please. <laughs> how, do I, how do I do that? But, Bradley, it's great to have you on. So it's great you. to see your face. Uh, I'll toss it over to probably the one of the most talented people I've ever met uh, today. Mr. Blewett, what's going on, man? What you sipping on and what else have you been watching? All right. First of all, I have to say that's unequivocally a lie. I'm probably the least talented one in the, in the group, besides from Bryland, who just took his headphones off and can't hear me and can't defend himself. Um, <laughs> so I will say this: tonight I am drinking. I actually went old school on this, where all my drinks were references to the stuff that we saw, and today I'm drinking a, of course, red wine uh, from Rosso Veneto, which I believe is Italian. Yes, yeah, this product of Italy. But the brand name is called Duo, and it features these two figures that are like fight dancing, and one of them is red. So I thought it shared does, a lot of. S- does one of them have a dong? I'm looking at this picture right now. It definitely no, looks like their one of them hands. has a big It does kind of look like a. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna. Why, why can't they be just <laughs> dancing instead of fighting? I don't. Well, that's that was what I said. It, it could be like some <laughs> Capacara uh, type, uh, you know, situation. It's a, a mixture a of both. <laughs> capoeira? I'm, I don't Capoeira? I don't think anyone, any one of us can pronounce that. Um, capoeira. Capoeira. No, you still can't, Mocha. Yeah. He has the R thing, so it's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's actually really good uh, red wine. Uh, I would recommend it. Um, but I definitely bought it only because of the metaphor um as for what i've been watching literally nothing i i literally nothing i fell asleep during a, a documentary for a story i've already heard um i watched this netflix documentary on the murder of Dee, Dee blanchard uh which is a very very interesting case uh if you don't know what happens um and i think that netflix really messed it up and that they pretty much told you the big twist at the beginning of it um so can I just ruin it for people or does anyone actually care? It's like, well, it's been, it's been told on every like basic white chick murder podcast out there. So like it, it's, 
it's public domain at this point. But basically what happened. Wait, wait, wait. Before you ruin uh, everything, you actually have been watching something, which is this. And is this the same thing that's on Hulu? It's like a show that's on Hulu called like The Act or something like that. Does that have anything to do with it? No, there's there's like this. This case was crazy big. Like. Go ahead and spoil it. Spoilers spoilers. for a murder that already happened. Yeah, like yeah, uh, on behalf of all three of our listeners, you can spoil it. Ryan Dowd, uh, close your kids' ears. Um, oh, Ryan listens to this. Hi, Ryan. He is the only one that <laughs> listens to it. I'm sure he doesn't, but it's okay. <laughs> so uh, basically, what happened um, is that this girl and her boyfriend uh, killed their her mom, um, and she was diagnosed. Oh, she was in Katrina, so she you know escaped Katrina. Um, and she was diagnosed with like leukemia, like a disorder that was inhibiting her ability to walk. Uh, she was like, I don't know what the current thing is, but like mentally deficient. So like she was, you know, 18 years old, but she had the brain of like a 12 year old. Um, and it turns out that none of that was true. The mom made a hundred percent up, uh, percent of it up. Uh, in order to get like charity and all this stuff and basically held her daughter hostage. Um, the the syndrome is, I think, Munchausen by proxy, um, which is a uh, variation M&M of, disease. Yeah, Munchausen uh, syndrome. And so so it's very it's a very interesting case. But ne- Netflix just ruined it because they basically gave away the goat at the very beginning of the movie in saying that, you know, they showed uh, what's her face? Uh, something rose. Uh, Gypsy Rose, they showed her standing up in like the first four minutes of the documentary, which is like a pretty big thing in the overall narrative of the case and would have been served towards maybe towards the end of it. Um, I don't know. So uh, Hulu currently has uh, a, a series streaming right now called The Act. That's exactly what it's about. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, and oh. I, yeah, I started watching it and I got bored and I just turned it off. I'm like, it is I'm like the interested. biggest white girl case in like murder mystery, you know, recent history. Um, Casey Anthony? Um, John no, Benet I don't Ram. like to talk about that one. That one's too close to home. <laughs> Adnan Syed. What? Too That's not even a white home. girl. What? Like, Casey Anthony's not. Casey, she's white. Adnan Syed. No, no, no. With, like, <laughs> Rodney King. <laughs> well, well, he didn't die. But <laughs> so I'll say Heyman Lee died and she's fucking not white either. I don't know that one. Said Rodney King, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, rails have disappeared. <laughs> we haven't even made it to send it. Send it send. Were they there in the first uh, place? I don't probably know. not. <laughs> Rodney King. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> okay. My bad. Blue, it was great to have you on. Uh, I'm glad that you were kind of uh, kind of disappointed by that Netflix episode. It's actually kind of strange because Hulu um, is doing a little bit different, where it's actually leading up to the actual reveal. So it's a little little weird. I'm surprised to see what what happens there. Yeah. And uh, my name is Warren, and I will be your host this evening. Uh, what I'm currently sipping on is a really go back to throwback because what I had in my fridge was a nice Arizona iced tea. Uh, the green tea version. Uh, I know you. I think that you you all thought we forgot about you, Arizona, but we didn't. Uh, we still love you. Uh, we're accepting any donations and any sponsorship. Uh, holla at your boy, Arizona iced tea. Prices on the can. Come on, Arizona uh, iced tea, the official unofficial sponsor of the Down in Front podcast. Perfect. 
We should probably, uh, I need to add that in later, but later on. But what I've been watching is really a, a couple of things. I fell asleep to that Triple Frontier movie on Netflix. I think that's what it was called. Could not make it through the first 10 minutes. I was like, no way. I can't yeah. do it. No, sorry. Uh, but uh, just getting to all my other fans out there for anime and manga. Uh, I'm currently going through and I've literally binged One Punch Man. Uh, and so if you're on Viz for right now, it allows you to download about 100 chapters at a time, which is perfect because when I'm on a flight, I can devour about 65 to 85 chapters. So it's great. And so I am almost caught up on One Punch Man because the actual anime comes back in April. Um, so definitely stay tuned for that because I will be talking about that anime uh, probably next month. And One Punch Man is absolutely hilarious. So if you haven't started, if you're still interested, I would say if you're kind of new to it, watching the anime is absolutely absolutely hilarious it's still one of the only mangas that i read that actually gets me laugh out loud because it's just such a ridiculous concept so yeah definitely go check it out the first season is on netflix it you're right people definitely should watch it i was told by a lot of people that it's a funny anime and i was like there's no way this is going to be something that actually makes me laugh and i was cracking up the entire time and it's got amazing animation some cool fights it's it's got the whole thing and it's only like 12 episodes, I think, which is surprising because they're up to almost 100 chapters. And so I'm curious to see this next season, how actually far it goes, because I'm in like in the weeds. I'm all the way lost in it. So I'm about to be caught up probably by the time of next week. So that's One Punch Man. I'm reading that on Viz, but you can actually read that there on Shonen Jump. Uh, there's a couple other sites you can read that actually for free when it comes out in Japan. It actually comes out here. So you don't have to worry about these bad uh, translations or scanlations, they call them and the other show I actually uh, accidentally binged with Emma I was just really too tired to move uh, is shrill has anybody heard about the show mm-hmm. no I've seen like I've heard for, of- but I don't know anything about it really yeah I've heard uh, a I mean, lot of good stuff about it yeah I mean I was angry yet surprised surprise i was angry because the show like is supposed to kind of evoke some sort of emotion from it so i was like oh, i was kind of bummed about where it was going and then it surprised me so that i was also really uh really excited about it uh, i'm also glad because ad brian is from you know snl and usually you don't really see that too many of them kind of really blow up and i really think because she was a star of the show that this was a really, really great, uh, I guess, like first thing, um, kind of huge her own show. She has been in a couple other things, Horse and Pete. I know we talked about it on the show before. So she actually was in that as um, a daughter character for Horace's daughter. Uh, but this one is completely different. It talks about the fact that she's kind of a writer. She talks about uh, there was a one kind of thing that she was talking about her weight and how her weight was being um portrayed and how everybody else kind of viewing her her family her friends so really really good show like by far it's pretty pretty solid um i think there's a couple things that kind of bug me but i'm curious i won't spoil the show for everybody so definitely go check that out i'm actually not sure where that stream is. i want to say hulu so definitely go check that out on hulu uh and that is shrill streaming right now a bryant is a gem yeah she's so great she's so funny So what we're going to do is that we're going to give a couple of our shout outs and as we actually like to call it, our send a sip. So as we all are raising our drinks, I'm going to toss it over to the beautiful Ricky. Ricky, who are you sending your sip to tonight? I'm sending a sip of my newly poured vodka tonic to Rob Gronkowski to thank him for an almost decade of lovely service to the New England area and to my genitals with all the erections that I've gotten from his ESPN cover, 
and the ad where you saw his like foot for a second. But yeah, so love you, Rob. Dude, me and you almost completely align except for the whole New England thing. Mm. (laughs) Well, because you guys. a big thing. (laughs) Because you guys align, uh, Blewett, who are you uh, dedicating your sip to tonight? It's definitely the Black Panther. Dude, you had to see his primary rival and his girl making out the whole movie in us. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> rough. That's got to be rough. I, mm. I, hate, I hate you so much. That's got to be <laughs> rough, man. And then he gets dusted. It's like he gets dusted and his, his rival and his girl meet up. Like, that's brutal. Mocha, who are you dedicating your sip to tonight? <laughs> Oh, my sip is going out to my lovely wife, Tilla. Um, I am going to France next week, and a good friend of mine, Natilla, she is my my travel wife. We went to Morocco together, and we had to make believe the entire time while traveling while driving around that she was my wife because the culture there is just a tad bit different than here in America, in the U.S. But either way, we have a loving uh, relationship, and we're meeting up in Paris this weekend as I start my work trip over there. So I'm super excited to see her in another country again. So uh, it should be a good time. Are you fancy. Nice. And Brylan, who are you dedicating your sip to tonight? I'm going to send my sip out to a YouTube channel called Noclip. Uh, they are a crowdsourced uh, video production company that does documentaries on video game studios and different video games from different eras. Uh, They do really cool, insightful work. Uh, They're very creative with how they actually tell their stories. And it's all started by a uh, cool Irishman named Danny O'Dwyer, who used to be a video uh, games journalist for GameSpot and other outlets out there. And I think they do really cool work. So yeah, if you you haven't checked them out, uh, just search Noclip on YouTube. You'll find them. They're really awesome. Nice. Good stuff. Uh, and I am going to be dedicating a couple of sips to one to A.D. Brian because of the actual shrill uh, TV show that I was just talking about. And the other one for huge, huge props. I know we're going to talk about this guy a lot, but Jordan Peele has come out with this movie that is absolutely ridiculous. And uh, I'm just glad that you can actually see somebody who starts with like Mad TV, some sketch comedy, actually goes and kind of starts creating some works that's such an impactful on the society. Good on you, Jordan Peele. Good on you. So I'm going to be dedicating my sips to you tonight. With that, we have moved into our spoiler section. So what we're going to do is that we're going to take a break. And once we come back from our break, we will be talking about and reviewing us and all the spoiler and all the amazing details. So if you have not seen this movie, definitely go check it out. Go to the theaters. Go watch it. Uh, Very easy watch. Uh, And then come back and pick up where we left off uh, for this episode. So we will see you soon for a full spoiler edition of the movie Us.
are back, and we are the Down in Front Podcast. I have Brylan, I have Mocha, I have Blewett, and I have our special guest, Ricky. Uh, and tonight, we are going to be giving you our spoiler edition in our review for us. So if you have not seen this movie directed, kind of uh, produced, and written by Jordan Peele, definitely go check it out. Uh, this movie is probably going to kick off what I hope is going to be a lot of great movies for the rest of the next maybe few months. What we're going to do is break it up into a couple of different sections. So we're going to talk about the actings and the character. Then we're going to talk a bit about the plot and the story of the movie. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the reveal and also the impact on the audience before we uh, have a bit of a conclusion. So to kick us off, I'm going to toss it over to our special guest, Ricky, and say, Ricky, tell me and talk to me about the acting and characters of us. Yeah, I mean, so the acting, I think, was pretty much universally amazing. Um, Lupita Nyong'o was great. Um, I mean, even the little boy, like, played his role, how he needed to play it. Like, I felt I was convinced by both elements of that of that character. I did not like Winston Duke in this role. It wasn't that he was particularly offensive. It was just that he didn't give me anything. And when he did give me something, which is when he was kind of doing the weird, uh, like black talk thing outside of his house. Like it just made me really uncomfortable. Cause I was in a theater surrounded by white people who were like cracking up and I'm like, why are you doing this? Like it just, it was weird. So, and I think that someone else could have pulled off that joke. They were trying to pull off without it have going into caricature. Like it did with him. I felt it just wasn't like in him to do that. So that was weird for me, but I think my favorite overall was Zora, played by Shahadi, right, Joseph, I think? Yes. Um, and I just thought that for a young actress, she played the whole spectrum. Like, I feel like most of the comedy, like, went through her, at least the moments where I really laughed, they were really connected to her. Um, and, yeah, she had the, she had the really vicious fight scenes that she was in, and she looked like she was kind of going for it, as well as being scared and whatnot. So, yeah, she had the whole kind of realm covered, and I thought I liked her for that. So, oh, and I guess I should talk about my preferences for replacing Winston Duke, which um, if I had to think about who would I, who I would put in, who could pull that off, I would say Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover, or Keith Stanfield, just because I think that they have a certain degree of maybe, like, per, one, personality and uniqueness, but two, also, like, a certain degree of, like, street cred to make the whole thing they were trying to play about this guy, like, like being, like, a suburbanite is but like mimicking something else i think would have been more unique coming from one of them yeah so mocha do you have anything else that you want to add for characters um you know i not too much i just want to say that lupita nyango is absolutely stunning physically but also in her acting capabilities um i think that you know i think overall even with winston duke on the, on the low end which i'll agree on Everyone did a really great job of acting this film, but I think this movie is taken to a different height because of Lupita Nyong'o's portrayal of Adelaide and of Red. Um, she was absolutely in full form in this movie, and I can't uh, say enough about her. Can, can I? Yeah, can I, 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 I was going to say, my, my only points really, besides what we've talked about uh, on acting, was what you just said there. I didn't realize, based on the trailers, that this movie was so Lupita-focused. Um, they made it seem more like a family home invasion thing, which great marketing, by the way. Um, and she really stole the show. Like, you know, I had no idea that she had that amount of chops in her and she really just rose to the occasion. Uh, the second thing is that I think it's incredibly impressive that they essentially shot this movie twice, right? 
Like they shot it from like the regular people that were on the surface and then they shot all the scenes again, uh, obviously with body doubles mm-hmm. and all that fun mm-hmm. stuff from a whole nother perspective. Like how many mm-hmm. besides Eddie Murphy in the late 80s or Eddie Murphy <laughs> in the mid 90s, how many of these <laughs> movies have we ever seen that one person plays multiple characters, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's where you get your whole cast to play multiple characters. Right, right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like usually it's you get you get like Daniel Day Lewis who trains for like six years to play Abraham Lincoln, you know. And so like he 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 really goes to town on one single role. It's like these actors, I imagine they couldn't really prepare. Right, like they had to shoot different scenes depending on the person, depending on the day. Um, and that's incredibly effective. Like, you know, say what we will about Winston Duke. I think um, he was still an effective character, both sides of the ball, I guess. We were talking about football earlier, so offense, defense, I think it works. <laughs> um, you know, playing both, both sides. sides both sides, of the, yeah, uh, or the, you know, the ground. Um, that's unbelievable from an acting group. You know, a smaller cast, but like still incredibly uh, impressive, especially the, the children, you know. Um, Warren always hates the kids, and I think that both of them were unbelievable in all their roles. Yeah, <laughs> this this yeah. has now become a thing that I just hate children. Uh, I don't. True. I'm not gonna say I don't hate children. I just hate shitty child actors. Yeah, mm. I'm talking to have you, children Ty fun. Simpkins. Probably. I mean, don't we all? No, what was that kid from Alita? He was way worse than Ty Simpkins. Oh, fuck that dude. <laughs> yeah, he was so bad. He was so bad. He was that bad. Yo, oh, shut up. What? Okay, okay, okay. We already went through that. Let's not Let's not go back into that. Damn. Blew it. I'm so upset you even brought his name up. But, uh, so the only things else I want to um, add before characters, before I toss it over to Brylin, was um, I loved how much uh, detail that Jordan Peele put into these characters, especially to make them look different from the Tethic characters or not. Um, I also love the fact that it really forced me uh, to really, at least when I was watching it, I was really trying to not get ahead of myself. And I was really trying to ask myself these questions as I was watching a movie. And then after the movie ended, I was still finding myself asking these questions not because it wasn't there, but just because it was like, man, there's a lot of different layers, right? I talk about that a lot. There's a lot of different ways you can read and look at and kind of accept this movie. And so, like, looking at the connections between, like, the the importance of different names, right? One was named Jason. One was named Pluto. There's some biblical references in this movie. There's a lot of duality things that was in this movie that was just huge, just talking about just the acting and the characters alone. Um and so I really, really enjoyed all the d- small, like minute details that was kind of put in just from the script. I, I love to like look, sit down and like look at the script and kind of figure out why he chose to name one person Adelaide, the other person Red, right? Like these just two things to be like, there, there's something with that. And so I love kind of looking into that more and more as I watched the movie for the second time, because it even like improved. I was just sitting there like, fuck, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I watched it twice back to back. I just really enjoyed it as much as possible um, just because you already knew there and then I'm still appreciating the marvel of it actually happening and then everybody else in the actual um, theater is like, oh, this is great, but I'm focused on entirely different things. So um, mm-hmm. loving, I just love the amount of details that we we were, we're not even going to talk about on this podcast right now, right? There's a lot of details and character work that we... Pr- probably will never hear about 
but we have to kind of see it and it's just so rich especially um throughout the entire movie so that it was just a marvel just to kind of see such character work with the acting with the detail with the the script with the costumes right like everything that it was kind of talking about that i, I was really really was enjoying that a lot so that speaking of the I'd costumes did anyone else catch this because I, I read about it uh, i didn't catch this myself um that through the movie adelaide turned red because of the blood because of the blood yeah. she got more and more red as that. the movie went along and it kind of like you know guided you into the reveal yeah I, I yeah I did not that's, catch that's that. Cool I, I I'm DB. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I gotta watch it a third time and catch that. All right. So. Also, uh, I, it's, oh, so one other thing: if you go on IMDb, there's a list of uh, several movies that Jordan Peele gave um, everyone in the cast to watch. Go watch those movies; they're fantastic. The one I'll definitely spotlight is this film called Funny Games, which is I think my favorite horror film that I've ever seen. Um, ironically enough, watch the American version, the Austrian version, a little hard to follow because it's all in, I think, German. Um, but the, uh, the American version, Tim Roth, Naomi Watts, um, and a couple other people that you'll recognize. Unbelievable. And if you like us, you will like this movie. They're nice. very similar. All right. Well, Bradley, what do you got for, uh, acting and character? Uh, I just want to add to it, uh, like, what really worked for me with uh, Lupita's uh, performance was, like, with Adelaide, um, we see her, like, she's the only one that's kind of scared with going to the beach for the summer and everything, and at first we have this flashback that, like, sets us up where it we think it's just because she got scared in some type of house of mirrors or something, some type of childhood trauma that she doesn't want to revisit, and once we get the reveal at the end, we understand there's a bit more to like why she's scared. There could be a possibility that uh, she knows what's in there and who may actually come after her. If they find out, ever find out that she, um, what did the switch. Um, and I found that she played that really well, that, uh, having Adelaide be like just this very frightened, but also, uh, super protective mom. And at the same time, willing to fight tooth and nail and kill for her kids, no matter what was really interesting as along with red, who was just from the get go vicious, but she wanted to actually like almost play with her dinner kind of, and, take some joy in watching them suffer the way that she did through her life as well. I thought that would, that uh, Lupita just knocked it out of the park with both those performances, especially there's a scene in the, um, there's a scene in the lab down below uh, where you have red in the foreground and uh, Adelaide in the background where they're actually talking to one another about the dance and everything, which I think is probably one of the best moments in the whole movie as well. Um, but other than that, uh, I I loved it when uh, Elizabeth Moss's character died. Anybody that says vodka clock, they should die immediately. Uh, <laughs> there should have been just like a spear go through her head as soon as she said that, because no one on the planet has ever actually said that phrase, I don't think. You have not hung out with a lot of white girls and Warren. I haven't done yeah. it. <laughs> and Warren. But, uh, I don't even like vodka. What? <laughs> but on the flip side, like even her tethered was cool. Like how, just that difference in her uh like her white girl persona versus her tether persona was really cool 
And uh, I think my only gripe was like the tethered never really felt scary. If they're supposed to be the monsters of this film, uh, they were, were to me just like more interesting and cool thematically. Yeah, it's thought, like it was interesting because um, I like it when people take the mundane and make it really neat looking. So like having jumpsuits with this striking red to them or gold scissors and one uh, driving glove on. Mm-hmm. Why that mix up and makeup to it and everything, who knows, but it actually is very visually stunning effectively works. My Halloween costume this year, for sure. Let me tell you, man. Super that, cheap. <laughs> that red jumpsuit and like the uniform look to it, for me at least, you know, really drove home this, uh, this imagery of uh, like this, it evoked like the, the the thoughts of slavery as well as just the idea of an underclass of people. There's just something about like the the jumpsuits that just kind of like triggered that for me. Maybe because jumpsuits in general are like a working class kind of outfit. Yeah, it's like well, the uniform. Yeah. Less than human. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's curious. Yeah, from going off a couple of your points here, um, Brylin is um you know, you talked about the tethered and being scary, and I was looking more towards that. I understand that they are the quote-unquote villains or the antagonists or the majority of them um, are the, you know, the scary component and scary element. But I think the one thing that would made it a bit more scary to me is how the hell did they get down there and who is running all this? And the fact that we got no information about that, that's the thing that was kind of scary to me because somehow all these people got randomly cloned. And um, another thing, I kind of go back really quickly, like the opening... Uh, title when the white bunnies were in the back and it's red lettering on the front. I thought that was also phenomenal too to kind of set up the a tone of the movie. Well, was, um, did did anyone did anyone else wonder if that main bunny was CGI because he was like he was acting way too well in that scene. Like he stared for like the right <laughs> amount of time. All the other bunnies were like sniffing around or laying down, and he was just giving the side eye the entire time. No, I, I think someone, some of the some... bunnies were just stuffed in, but stuffed bunnies. I thought That's, they were all real. They looked pretty real to me. I thought them harmed making this movie. Though. Trust me, I, I had I had a, I had a what I think it was like a northern white or something, whatever those rabbits were growing up. I, I think I forget the actual. Oh, rabbits. Okay. Yeah. The yeah yeah of course. Um, I have a northern white in my basement now. It's a Canadian. Oh. His name is Rob and whatever. Um, and so um, they kind of do that. They have a good personality. I could definitely see that being a real rabbit and just like side-eyeing the camera for that long but it was the only one side-eyeing no i don't they, know they I do just that felt like they do too that good of an actor. yeah they do which is why there should have been more bunnies doing it there were like 95 bunnies on screen at that moment and hey, only maybe one ev- maybe side-eyed. every other rabbit was CGI. i don't think at any point there were 95 bunnies on the screen <laughs> anyway be, that bunny be down with that world Gordon actor no at least a nom Oh, for sure, Nam. So uh, we'll we'll close off our acting and character section. Let's get into the plot. Let's get into the bit of the story. Some of the things that we already started talking about. I'll toss it over to Mocha and says, start us off here. Yeah. So my favorite thing about this this story is that it had such a great pace and a really cool series of escalations throughout. Uh, Blue had kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when he said that the marketing for the movie was fantastic. Because all of the trailers, all of the teasers, all of the marketing for it was based around the idea of this is a home invasion horror movie, and it's about these people breaking into a house. That's all we ever saw. And it starts out, the movie starts out with what feels like it might be a haunting, 
like these little girls in a scary uh, like mirror uh, haunt, like mirror room. I don't know what the hell you call it. Um, and she sees this thing that looks House like her mirrors. House of Mirrors. There you go. And then she's talking about how she feels like this this thing is following her and it's been leading up to this and it's going to find her. So it feels like a haunting movie almost. And then it escalates in the second like the second act or the, like near the end of the first act into a home invasion a really well executed and really scary home invasion that moment when they're all standing holding hands on the driveway and then she's like gives her a little uh, uh, like command oh, and they all fuck. go scurrying off it's creepy as oh, oh so God. so i was going to say this earlier when we were talking about Winston duke like given like the uh you know scary thing i was like i don't rem- really remember that all I remember is the two kids crouching down and then disappearing in the bushes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I remember from that scene. Mm-hmm. Super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend then, just grabbed my hand, which is like, it's like, oh, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, and then you're already at a good spot there. Your tension is, is high and you feel like, like threatened by the situation. And they ratchet up even further and suddenly turn it into an apocalypse movie where you have the world being overrun by these duplicates of you. Of everybody, these doppelgangers, you know, running back to that old like mythological creature, and like that level of escalation, I was not expecting. And I think that had the movie tried to be a two-hour home invasion movie, the the tension of being scared of the home invasion would have eventually had a dip before the movie reached this climax. But because he kept kept changing the the genre in which you were scared by, it kept this kind of rising like tension that that made for a really really cool experience. So like. Yeah, huge shout out to Jordan Peele because he expertly orchestrated that. I, I will say that with the changing genre, I think at some point, honestly, even when they were in the living room all together, the, like the, the eight of them, I wasn't after that point super scared. You know, the, like they had jump scares and stuff, but it wasn't like super nerve wracking as other horror films might be. Um, that being said, because he constantly switched genres there was never a lull moment. There was never a, a point where I wasn't like, all right, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Oh, wh- where is this coming from? What's coming to jump out from the shadows? Um, which I think for horror films, because you're right, at certain points, your brain somewhat turns off and you're like, all right, well, I know another jump scare is going to come out and Michael Myers is going to be there with a another knife, you know, and, and you someone had a moment of like, I don't know what's going to pop out next which kept you engaged through the entire movie, which is fairly rare. There yeah. were a, uh, a couple moments kind of going off of your points, both Mike and Mike, um, that I also thought was kind of weird. But uh, it's again, we were talking about like happening two and a couple of things that was happening, but it also sets it up to the fact we, we are introduced to a moment where it's kind of funny. And so when they're getting ready to go to the beach uh, and it's Adelaide and it's uh, Jason and Zora there in the house. We start hearing the horn honk and they're like, what is that? And they walk out and find out this very funny comedic moment with uh, Gabe on the boat talking about it's a crawdaddy and all that stuff. So then we got in, like, if we uh, jump forward a little bit, we have about maybe 20 minutes after. Very similar scenario happens, but it's very different because now they have to flee the house for their life because they're going to die. He's honking the horn in the boat for them to go to save their life, and they're all scurrying into the actual boat itself to kind of uh, survive. And so I, I, it was just that happened in the movie. I was like, holy shit, is he going to keep doing this? Again, with the keys 
uh, Adelaide forgetting the keys for the actual car, for their car. And so they had to kind of run away and go to the boat. Adelaide forgetting the keys for the Tyler family car had to go back and that's why she ended up getting, being attacked and you know we can figure out like how she first made her kill uh and that's when her son you know jason kind of finally saw her kill for the first time and so he keeps putting these moments in that also didn't allow for us to have these lulls because he's inserting very familiar things that we've seen already but then makes a bit of a twist mm -hmm. because it's like oh shit i didn't even realize it was going to end like that like oh Oh, okay. I we I'm very familiar with this, and then he twists it just a little bit, and then we're completely blown away. At least my mind was blown away that we've seen this scene before, but it's an entirely different outcome. And so, again, I'm like kudos to Peel for doing this because th that was just really messing with my mind. It's great. Yeah, and Jordan Peel is such like he's a good writer. We've seen that now with both Get Out and uh, and now Us, but he is a phenomenal director. Like he has such a good eye for like certain shots for lighting. The lighting in this movie was incredible, mm -hmm, but also mm -hmm. just for creating really cool visual moments. Like when they decide to, when they first approach the house of, I guess the Tyler's uh, you mentioned earlier, Warren, like the white family they were friends with, you know, Lupita goes up to the door first. The rest of the family members are each on a different part of the stairs. And they're just talking about what they're going to do. And you're on the, you're at the back fam, the, this back from the, the family members looking up at Lupita and you like you know that the bad guys are waiting in that house and you know that they're going to walk in and get jumped but what you don't know is that they're going to grab her at the door and you have this awesome shot where you're just staring at her and like eight pairs of like or four oh, pairs of hand, so white hands just reach out grab her and yank her in screaming and it happens so quick but the visual of those hands coming out and just pulling her in is just like it was just beautifully, beautifully executed, and there's scene after scene like this in the movie where it's just so so well well shot. So I, like, yeah, he's just, he's incredible at what he does. I was gonna say the switch the switch from uh, close shot to far shot uh, when the white family gets murked was amazing. So like, you have them kind of just talking, and like you know the twins are like, but we're still up doesn't mean we're sleeping. Um, and then you see like the demon chick just appear next to her and then stab and then it, it cuts to a far shot and then literally you see the next three of them all show up in unison together and all stab in unison like that shot was amazing like in the the execution between uh near and far was perfect overlaid and, with the good vibration by the beach boys yeah yes yeah and like watching her crawling gurgle was like Ugh. so it was so exciting the, um, this thing was like one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. What thing? Can you yeah, explain that the, for the listeners? Yeah, well, no, because yeah. they need to see us. Uh, just be <laughs> on our level. Um, when he puts his hands out and then does the too slow, but he also oh, does like the yeah. like the you know the hair swipe. I, I cackled. Yes, I cackled. But I think the prettiest scene in the entire movie is the fight scene where they alternate between them in the hallway going yeah. at it and yeah. the dance with yeah. the, uh, uh, the, what was it? The remix of, I got five on it. Oh yeah. man. That's so stuck good. in my head. Oh, oh my God. Like that was, if I just watched that, I would have been fine paying the $12 I paid to go see it. <laughs> yeah. That remix just Whoa, ramps up. Whoa. You're in Michigan, right? So much in that movie. Okay. So uh, let's, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on this story yeah. a bit. So I think Jordy, Jordan Pills a freaking genius because, um, 
after watching this movie, I felt like I needed like some type of doctorate in behavioral psychology to understand what I just saw. Uh, but um, I don't know if I'm smart enough to even like do this movie justice, or if you're supposed to get a specific uh, story out of it, or if it's supposed to be left to everybody to decide what is this movie about. And I think that's actually uh, really cool about it is that it can be something different for everybody. And I think it just shows how smart of a filmmaker Jordan Peele is, especially with his use of the visual mimicry between the tethered and the surface dwellers. Uh, when we meet the, the tethered equivalents of all the main characters, like we see Gabe is this goofy Clark Griswoldish dad that Abraham is mute and, uh, like beaten down and not as confident, but it also he's a screaming, raging beast at the same time. Uh, we see Zora, who's very rebellious and individualistic against her parents and everything, especially with like not wanting to do track again. Then we meet um, Umbre, who is just pretty much set on being the best at everything. We'll be faster. We'll kill quicker will actually do everything better than everybody because that's the mission she doesn't stop and she's going to do it no matter because that's what people tell her to do uh and then we see uh jason who's just a young precocious kid it's interesting that like you even get the twins telling him like your brother's kind of weird that we're supposed to believe that he's kind of like this socially awkward kid that uh, kind of uses his imagination to enjoy himself, how he has the mask that he puts on to become a monster to scare his sister and everything because he finds some joy into like making her uncomfortable and like throwing her off kilter, but and that becomes their game that they have. Uh, when we meet Pluto, Pluto literally is physically the exact opposite where he takes off his mask and we see the monster uh, with him removing his mask rather than putting a mask on, which I thought was awesome visual storytelling right there. But we also get to see that uh, that little magic uh, trick device that Jason has. He struggles with like flipping it on and flipping it on, whereas Pluto is all about the pyro, that he wants to set the whole world on fire if he, want, if he has to, that he was literally born in fire. And I think that all these different elements are really cool to actually tell the story that's here that we don't need to have a lot of explanation that you can start with like a single little title card to make this work uh, that uh, we even see in even the supplementary characters like Elizabeth Moss, her, um, her main character on the surface could be annoying as hell and you don't want to be around her because she says shit like vodka clock and is always drunk and everything. Uh, but her tethered tries to scream and there's silence. And I think that is amazing that they actually went that specific with what's going to make each of these characters, the mirror of themselves and the opposite of themselves. I mean, I agree that I do believe that the movie was packed with enough vague symbolism and like references that you can put a lot of things onto it. Um, which I think if you just Google us online, you will see everyone and their mom has already done that. Uh, <laughs> but the one thing that I feel like a lot of the analyses I hear and even everything you said, like doesn't account for is the fact that the main family that we are looking at through the, the story through is a black family. 
And um, like they're the only ones picture for that. They're the center of the narrative. And like that's the big battle. Right. And the person who broke that that, you know, between the haves and the have nots, the, you know, oppressed and the oppressor who broke that line was also a black woman. Right. So I feel like there is something there's also moments where they say, like, this is about us. Right. Like it's in like Jordan Peele talking to black people. Like when we get above, we like want to act like, oh, like. I don't know why, like, they didn't do this, or I don't know why they behaved that way, or act as if we don't know what that struggle is, um, and kind of devalue that to, like, inflate our own, you know, sense of worth, and, like, to feel like we are more like these white people. And as they show, like, we're never going to get that, right? Like, we already start from so far behind. You can be Adelaide and put in all this work from going to literally, you know, a soulless monster, as they called them, to this, like, woman with with a family and kids and a husband, and, like, the best you can still get is, you know, the re- the weird rentally or, or kind of house and the small rinky dink boat and like your friends who fucking annoy you, but you're around them because you want their status and whatnot. So I felt like it was very much about this like new blackness of like, I'm kind of above that. And like, these things aren't important anymore. And like, if I can pull up myself by my bootstrap, so can you. And that's really emphasized, I think, in that moment where she says, I wonder what it would have been like if you took me with you. Um, as opposed to being like, nope, like I got to get mine and like you're going fucking back there and like I'm going to steal what you have as opposed to saying like collectively we can like, you know, work to change the system. Right. And I think there's something weirdly ominous, too, about her knowing all that is going on and like being like, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. I would rather live comfortably myself. Like I know all this oppression is going on. It's not like I think we talk about now with white people checking white privilege, right? It's like a lot of that is ignorant. Like it's it's hard to see it if you if you haven't lived it. She lived that and saw it and still was like, "Fuck you! I'm going to bring you down to to this to get mine." And I think that there's a commentary about how we treat each other as black people in there. But yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I think you're more right than what I'm about to say. But I also think that it is somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> It's somewhat, it is a somewhat universal message where, um, so I was going to talk about this more after the reveal, but like, whatever, it's fine now. I I think this movie really drives home the, what if I was not who I am? Um, everyone's put in a position, you know, everyone sitting in this, this chat, if you're listening, you know, you are in some position in life and, I think it's an interesting thought experiment to be like, all right, well, what if I had a million dollars in the bank? What if I had no dollars in the bank? You know, I think mostly our listeners are somewhere in the middle, right? You know, maybe not incredibly wealthy, but not, you know, homeless. Um, And it is, it is a very, very interesting thought experiment on who you would be if not who you are. Um, And Jordan Peele really, dives into that for the first time, I think. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that's really had the same characters in two different places and then had them juxtaposed directly against each other, um, which I thought was fascinating. Again, you're more right because I think it... it uh, For the listeners who haven't figured this out from... I've said this in the past podcast, I'm not black. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> like there is that extra bit of element that like I'm not privy to just based on who I am as a person. Um, but I do think that it really does speak to a somewhat universal, uh, language, which is fascinating that someone can make a movie that has a theme that so directly connects to a certain community, 
but is also broadly based on the you know the rest of the world. It, it, that's a special talent right there. I mean, that's how you sell a project to a major studio. Yeah, it's true. So, from being the guy from um, Mad TV to making movies that make, you know. I don't know if he actually was on Mad TV. I know Key. Uh, I think Key, he was a writer. Keegan he was a writer. Was. Oh, okay. I think. Okay, so I, I guess they both. I know Keegan for sure was on <laughs> yeah. there. I don't know if Jordan Peele was on Mad TV. But yeah. he could have yeah. been a writer. And you I know, think. I, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think you're right, Blewett. I like, and I, I really do want to emphasize the universality of it. And I think that I am just sensitive because one, I was looking for a way to understand if this is a vast oppressor oppressive narrative, like why is a central family black as opposed to like, and get out the central villains were white. I feel like that switch was important. Yeah. Um, I also wondered too, in your telling of it, right. Or in the telling a lot of people say is like, Oh, it's the same characters. And it's like, but they're not like we see them as that, but they're actually two different beings. And like the idea is that we're all like connected to each other. And like, so when I strive to get ahead, like I am moving you into a place, a thing that you cannot have a thing that's no longer available that disadvantages you further. And I think, so it's more about the interconnectedness of us and the way in which oppression is on this kind of like tent, like tension this way. And like um, in the way in which it's about, how can we imagine? I think you said, how do we imagine ourselves? If we had this other thing, right? Yeah, I think either, either more, less or more, you know, like, right, well, less I, or more, right? Right. I felt like it was more about like, what if we didn't imagine life as being about less or more? Mm. Like, what if Red didn't think that, I mean, Adelaide didn't think the only way to get out was to kill Red? Like, because that's how we think about it, right? It's either I get or she loses, as opposed to like, if you saved us both. You could have unveiled an entire conspiracy and saved a bunch of other people without murder, you know, the entire planet. So, well, that planet of the country. But, yeah. So I just thought that those are some tweaks I would add to what you were thinking. But I agree. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And even going off of a couple of those points, guys, and it was weird when I, I think I noticed this when me and Brylin were leaving and I looked over at the movie poster. Um, there was things in which I, I was kind of, I had a couple of other kind of questions about, but. It was also kind of feeding to the same conversations of the interconnectedness of us. You know, does that stand for United States? Uh, the fact that when um, Adelaide asked Red, you know, who are you? And the first thing that she says was, we are Americans. I thought that was also kind of strange because I'm like, well, I felt like Raven Simone was on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Stacey we're gonna Jack keep going. Dash gonna come gonna, up next. No, no, we're gonna keep going from that one. We're not gonna. We're definitely not talking about. Actually, that. Warren, Warren, that is that. So that is an interesting po- point because I think, and that speaks to somewhat what we've been talking about, where America is this like somewhat unique country where I think a lot of, a lot of countries. Oh, I'm gonna say this wrong. I know I'm gonna say this wrong. You're gonna call me out immediately on it. Every single one of you, including Bryland. But I think that a lot of racist moment or no, no, no. But like, I think a lot of countries are getting a somewhat habit of either being like either ethnically homogenous and then wealth broken up or potentially like wealth related. And then, you know, there's not much outside of that. Um, And so America is this very unique country where we have we really run the gamut of like very very poor very oppressed people to very wealthy very privileged people and then somewhat in between and there's this weird smattering of like you know there's there's folks that as we were talking about before have made it out of 
you know, being maybe like a racial minority, but have made it into a, an upper class family or potentially, you know, in urban Alabama, you have like a poor white family. And so being just in America, some mobility period. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's a very unique country where it's very hard to pin down because of such a wide range of people that live here, both racially and economically. Um, and so I thought it was very, you know, at first I thought the line was kind of weird because it didn't really tie into the movie. But the more the plot progressed, the more it made sense that everyone is American. Everyone's trying to make their life better. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're like stomped under some boot or if you have everything in the world, you're trying to make your life better. Um, and so that line in the end really spoke to me. See, I thought it was when I said the Raven thing, I wasn't kidding. Um, I thought it was a play on like that kind of new black. Like, I'm not African-American. I'm American. And for her to be for them to be like, I'm coming down from the sewer. Like, I'm coming down from the upper class to replace you. And like, yeah, I'm an American now. Like, I'm about to kill you and take your American status. That's how I read that as. Um, I just thought it was interesting. There was just I was just looking at there was way too many ties. And I know a lot of have a lot of other people have a lot of other kind of research in it. But to the fact that Red is her name is Red in this movie, and we know that, you know, blue and red and the different type of sort of divisions in the government for the United States, United States, oh, U.S., that's right. also kind of stands mm-hmm. for Hands Across America, how she was kind of focused on the interconnectedness, although she was the person that was initially started because Red, you know was she had her life and then kind of kind of take it out from her and how she had literally asked you know what if you would have taken me what if you would have held my hand and this is her uh you know this is what she planned you know the red jumpsuits the scissors right the talking about this the severed connectivity we're not entirely sure there's just so much imagery there's just so many things to be completely honest with you i still have yet to figure it out and i still have yet to kind of think through it all but i'm glad that you know we can we had this kind of conversation i haven't even googled i haven't kind of talked about it but uh, i talked with you know brylin i talked with kind of emma and now you guys here but it's one of the reasons why really kind of I, I gravitate to movies like this because I can ask these questions and there's so many different ways and interpretations of like looking at it. But at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, what it means and what speaks from you. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios that it could be, but that's that's really why I kind of enjoy it. And I'm glad that I can still even to this day, right, because I can take a look back at the fact that what's the common denominator or, you know, what's in relation to what was happening when Hands Across America was happening? And does that have to tie anything to do with the song that Adelaide as a child was whistling? It was the same song that Red comes back and was whistling there, which is the same song that she was whistling when she was dying in the end before her necks get snapped, right? What's the connectedness between those three things too? And how does that go back to What's more, why was is Hands Across America at the time, which people were protesting against when that was happening? That's the sort of thing that at least my mind kind of gravitates to. Uh, for full disclosure, I did participate in Hands Across America. Stop. I was, I was, <laughs> stop it. Oh, God. Hard. I was seven. I was a kid. I was yes, Brian. Across America. <laughs> Yes, Brian. I was Warren. That. Warren, you you really like kind of hit it on the head though. That if if you the the amazing thing about this movie was if you walked in and were purely expecting a horror film, 
you got a horror film, right? You got stabby, stabby, dying people. Um, if you wanted to see something that was like socially conscious, you got to see a movie that was socially conscious. It spoke to like the black experience in America. If you wanted to see something that was like maybe a little bit more broadly conscious, you could also see that in like how lower class versus upper class. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you could see this movie and enjoy this movie. Um, and I think Mocha, just to call you out on this, uh, being everyone, most, most people that are offering criticisms are just like kind of dumb enough not to look at what they're smart enough to understand. You know, like I, for example, I cannot fully understand the black experience watching this, this film. You know, I'm not, I don't have those experiences. I don't have that sort of intelligence, not taking away from my own intelligence, but I just don't have that intelligence. Um, and so people offering criticism that they didn't get it because it exposed like plot holes or something, they're just not realizing their own gaps in their intelligence on whatever they were actually looking for. And that mm. if you settle into a zone of like what this is what it's I want to get take. out of it, this is what you will get out of it. And I think that's why this movie works so unbelievably effectively is because where you are is what you'll get. I like that. I dig it. So. I'm assuming you're referring to my what I uh, my statement earlier during the teaser, right? About the plot holes, about plot holes. Yeah. In the movie oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, damn, I didn't realize that. Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so. we have a, dude, we no, haven't no, even let's talked talk about, about your criticism on the plot holes, and I'm pre-calling you no, out on no. that shit. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's bring it in. So <laughs> we can talk about this because in a situation like this, you're right. Jordan Peele made this movie, and this movie has a lot of layers that speak to a lot of different lived experiences for people. but. You got you to remember, too, that at the end of the day, and speaking from the, purely from the perspective of making a successful, really good film, uh, he's still speaking to a really wide audience. And the plot holes I was referring to was strictly involved uh, the, the nature of the tethered, because they have a really important metaphor, metaphorical role, but it's still a movie that has, that has to have a coherent plot. And there were a lot of gaps left in why that entire section of the story existed at all that weren't explained in favor of driving home the metaphor. And I think the metaphor was excellent. I think the movie was excellent. But that's the thing. If you create a movie where you've got all this really deep, rich metaphor, but surround it with a lot of unanswered questions about what's kind of obvious about the movie, then those dense people who don't have those lived experiences aren't going to have the moment to think about, oh, what does this mean in relation to like my lived experience versus a black experience? Because they're still thinking, how did... Adelaide give birth to uh, the exact same uh, being that she gave birth to on the other end. Like those kind of obvious questions, people, like I heard all the white folks specifically in my theater talking about out loud after the movie, which means that they don't even get a chance to experience the richness that's in the rest of it. So I think those potholes still have to be addressed, especially if you're going for subtext. So first of all, a couple things. I think he just um, proved his point. I... I didn't say it's so wrong. I I'm just saying. I think they should have. Well, I don't know if I agree with this. Um, I think they should have explained less. Like I, for me, the the worst p part of plot exposition was the whole thing about the government, about how like oh they figured out how to split the body and it, just skip that. Oh just, yeah, when there was like the weird angle to where their face. I was like, I don't want to see this shit. Yeah, just yeah. just skip the whole government thing. Like just make it less obvious and what happened. Just be like, oh yeah, there's the tethered, and then there's the people on the surface. That's it. That's all we need to know. 
Um, so I think, yeah, they offered enough where dense people could get dense about it. Um, because then they started thinking of like, well, why'd you bring this up if you don't want to make another point? So I'll agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your second thing? Cause I certainly forget. I think that was it. Yeah, that was more or less it. Basically, I was saying that if you're going to create a movie with rich subtext, you have to make sure that the obvious stuff is clear. So that way those dense people who are missing those gaps in their oh. knowledge can focus their energy, their mental energy somewhere else. So I think they did say how she gave birth, right? Wasn't that like a fairly like big plot point in the first sit down? So I mean, they, they said that the government, happened. they didn't explain the mechanism by which yeah. her being pregnant, like, no, but, but I think it's sure what happened like, to the tethered was a mirror of what was happening right, to yes. so, like, everybody on the surface. So if someone was eating food, someone of the, the same tethered person was like eating that raw rabbit out of that thing. If someone was walking down the hallway, someone was walking down the street, two people were banging. You probably have two tethered banging. So what happened to Red was like she said, like you found your prince and found love with him, but like for me, this dude I don't fucking know just came up and raped me, and right, I have to like right. carry his baby. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. more of a, like a rape thing where like, yeah. for sure, she they, had no yeah, choice. In that. Right. And so that's that so. makes it even more harsh. Of like, yes. yeah, it, that really worked for me. Yeah, and I'm not disagreeing on that at all. What I'm saying is. When like those fo- those exact folks that you were talking about stood up at the end of the movie and would say things like, OK, well, if. If the tethered were created by the government, why is it that when she got raped by Abraham, she gave birth to the exact same person that was given birth on the other end? Right. Because so and I'm not going to I'm not going in advance. Like, in advance of their argument. like who cares? It's a movie. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, no, no. What I'm on. saying is that. No, no, listen, what I'm saying is that you're absolutely right. Like those dense people are going to have those dense moments where they can't fill in the gaps from their own lived experiences. But that's where you have to like walk that fine line, because if you're going to create this really rich cinematic experience that speaks to this other story, you have to at least make sure that it's the, the play field is there for other people to enter in. We got that with Get Out. Get Out was was like there were very few loopholes in that movie. I don't even I can't even think of one. It was very straightforward and it meant that. Even for those white folk who had no, who didn't go into it expecting to see a movie that was an allegory of slavery, they could say, "Okay, this is interesting for these different reasons." But with with us, the the sci-fi aspect of it was so ambitious and had so much more to it that it was it distracted from that greater point for those who didn't have the mindset to look for the, the, that subtlety. I just think that two people- things. What if it's not for them? It doesn't have to be for them. That's what I'm saying. It's saying. possible to make art that, like, as blue it is, saying, like, it's like that is appeals to this broad base, like, based on whatever you can get caught up in the details of this or the details of Jeremiah 11, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have all the pieces to put it together, then it means something special for you. I don't see why that's like 100%, a 100% agree. But Blewett's statement earlier was saying that uh, it's a fault of those who, who didn't get that message because they were distracted by the plot holes. It and is what I'm fault. saying. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it is their fault. It's still there because who, who cares? Who who cares how how the the same two kids popped out? Like it, it really doesn't matter. It's like a yeah, means to an end. Spend your time thinking about that instead of researching elements of the experience that I don't understand that can help me get right. the rest of the movie. If you think that like oh because I'm white every movie should be catered to a way in which I understand it based on what I've been through like didn't you, even say that though. No 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 I'm just saying like if that's where you're coming from which is where these people are coming from like they are thinking it's more important for me to look at think about the physics of this thing then think that there may be a broader social justice message where I need to look at different kind of focus things. I get 
like neither one of you are wrong. I just think that he's saying like, I agree with what Mike is saying. It doesn't have to be for everyone, and the people that it is going to be for, you would need to put in the work to but, get that. But if even, you don't have that, even the people that, that are, that, but like I'm Mocha's, saying you can't fault those people for that in that regard. Because like what Blewett said was, I'm calling you out, Mocha, for talking about how their potholes were a negative. And what I'm saying is that those potholes was a re- was a legitimate part of the movie experience for folks. If you're putting out a like this movie that's supposed to be a blockbuster, that's going to be a big that's that's marketed as a big hit that's trying to get these audiences in. Like us, all of us in this room have the previous knowledge from both lived experiences and the things that we studied and learned and talked to each other about to think on this level about the greater sub- cultural subtext. But that's not everybody in this like who's going to step into that the, theater. And the so I'm saying if you're going to say it's all so for people to like think that those potholes are legitimate, so legitimate Mocha, distracting, Mocha. I think that's really like a narrow kind of view on the audience perspective. I you know, so I will say this that I think that most people that are that dumb socially are not going to see this movie anyways because they're somewhat racist and they don't just like like black people starring in films, you know, like. I think that most of the, the, the folks that like cannot see beyond the surface level would not see this movie anyways. And so I think that it's it's somewhat unfair for at least that plot point. Yeah, there's like other plot points, but like I think that most people who are seeing this movie should understand to not necessarily think too hard on the me- the mechanics that make this happen like we haven't really even talked about like why raw rabbits like that makes it's not no important sense. it's not important no though. you're right it's not important but i think that that's that yeah there's a lot what of is, not racist people who dancing just like to see horror awaken red and to this yeah. like, individual like plan that she should have which again not important like yeah. it was just an inspirational moment for both of them like and it was tied to like and also like that peak like so Early in the movie, uh, Adelaide says she peaked at 14, which was that dance performance. Mm-hmm. And that's when Red got inspired to like make her revolution. So like even their switch in terms of like their trajectory in life changed at that point. So that's yeah. but again, you don't need it doesn't matter why I was dance or why I was this thing. And I just feel like you're arguing almost, Mike, that like being ignorant of something is an, is okay to and it's like you should be catered to. So it's like, wait, just give me no. a second. It's like saying that if I believe, oh, like. I'm so rich and I can't afford this fucking, you know, expensive salmon, but I'm going to focus on this and talk about this expensive salmon and how it's unfair that I can't get instead of thinking that there are people like down the street who have no food at all. Like you're saying that that's okay. That's so far from what I'm saying. That's so far from what I'm saying. What I'm saying is a specific rebuttal to what Blue had said, which was that me pointing out that plot holes in the movie was a, was a general negative. What I'm saying is that it is, it does not make somebody racist and dumb. So go into this movie expecting to see just some slasher horror home invasion movie, which is what we were given in the trailers, Mm -hmm. and to walk out and out of it saying, I wonder why this didn't make sense. I think that to say that that person is ignorant and dumb and racist is absurd. Like I would say that they're racist. I would say that they are social issues if they cannot see any other allegory in that. And if they think that the most important thing to sit and write about or think about is whether or not there was a weird mechanism behind the cloning. Where you put your energy is what you think is important. If you well, put your we're energy not on about, like, New York Times review screen, we're talking about someone important. that stood up in the theater afterwards. It's just some dude with his friends who went to go see his movie. I okay, think, then I I think, think he can still not know anything yeah. even if he's a random dude. There are but random people ignorant the point, all the time, everywhere. Hold on a second. I <laughs> think the point that, hold on, <laughs> yeah, I think the point that what we're talking about, I think the thing, I think the point that right now, Mocha, what you're talking about in Blue It was definitely wrong on this one is calling if somebody's ignorant, they're automatically racist. No, 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 I don't no, think no, you, no, no, no. I know, I know, I know, Blue It, wait, 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 I know 
You didn't mean that, but I think no, I didn't say that. Hang on, I said that if people were racist, they probably weren't seeing this movie anyways. So they're not the people that are like typing up at their computers. (laughs) That's a new sentence that just came out of the. No, I said that. No, he definitely said that. He definitely said that. Yeah, so so I will say so they could write it because that's that's the thing. I don't. (laughs) I disagree. If so, the people that are writing this stuff, I don't think are racist or ignorant. I just think that they're ignorant because they should be. Um, they're, they're ignorant, but like they, they should be writing about other things. Like this movie isn't necessarily about the sci-fi mechanisms and that's where I'll disagree with you. I, Mocha, I I think these people probably come from good intent and they're probably like very used to seeing these cinematic films that are written by experienced sci-fi folks that make complete sense from like a biological sense, a chemistry sense, like someone who's done... Maybe I, I don't know if you watch hour. Alien and you're just like, oh yeah, I understand how xenomorphs work, no, but like you don't I'm understand. Saying, what I'm saying, all I'm trying to say is that yes, this like this like everything that Jordan Peele did in this movie has subtext and is significant, has a greater overall message. What I'm also saying is that Jordan Peele is a filmmaker who makes films specifically for large audiences. They're meant to be blockbusters, and that it's not it's not wrong for somebody who just feels like going to see a cool like horror movie to go into it and then think after oh why didn't these things make sense to me i don't think that's wrong and i think that for us to say that comes from the fact that we're all privileged enough in our own knowledge of like current affairs of of race relations of the history of this country to be able to automate and being even people who talk about like movies regularly and see movies regularly because not everybody goes to see movies two three times a week i think it's a privilege position for us to look at this as a whole and say they didn't see all this, therefore they're wrong for just being bothered by the fact that it, they didn't understand why uh, why this world existed underground, like why by wanting to see more of that. I don't think they're wrong for that. And that's all I'm saying. Past your mind is not wrong. No, what is wrong is to focus on that to the detriment of not thinking about other things in the movie that are interesting. And that's what me and Blue were saying. It's like there are people who are literally writing articles about like why this doesn't make sense and why this frustrates them. If that's the thing that you took away as the one I gotta like burn this movie down for this thing because this one thing should have been that way, show me your magnum opus on how the fuck Freddy Krueger was created. I wanna see where that, where is that, where Listen, that came from. You're right, like, you were saying just that. Say, there's so many random things in like the world of those kind of movies that just, you have to suspend disbelief to get involved. Yeah. So if you yeah. wanna go down that rabbit hole, if you, you ever watch Midnight Meat Train, train there's something weird Where there. do the this aliens come from? Correct. That's fine. Ricky, you're right. That's exactly what you were saying. Blewett said otherwise. Blewett said, Mocha, you were wrong for saying that potholes matter in this movie. And that's what caused this. So what you're saying is correct, and I'm not dis- dis- disagreeing with that. I'm yeah. saying Blue wants to call me out, and I have an explanation for that. <laughs> Got it. Okay, this is Yo, this is some this is some hot mic mic on mic mic on mic action right now. <laughs> so where we are for right now is that we're going to finish up and talking about the story and the plot. I'll, t- I'll toss it over to Brylon to kind of finish his point. And then we're going to go into the reveal. We'll talk about the impact on the audience and then also do our wrap up. Cause I know we actually already started talking about the reveal. So I'll toss it over to you, Brylon. What else? Did you um, have? I just had uh, two last things I wanted to mention. Just one of my favorite scenes, which was just freaking hilarious was when Jason picked up the geode as his weapon of choice in the house, it was so random and so just oddball that I just found it just to be hilarious. And when he actually kills someone with it, it's fantastic as well. Um, but then also, like when it comes back to the symbolism and just the use of visual symbolism and everything, I found it very interesting that there were no guns in this movie at all. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we see a flare gun, but that's not really a gun. That the weapons used are blunt instruments, are uh, something that's sharp edges. They're personal. Yeah, they're very personal, very visceral. There's absolutely zero guns at all used in this whole movie. I think even talking about the fact that Jason had to, you know, secure a weapon in order to kind of fight off to kind of fight back to get his mother back. And like already like looking at this movie and we talking about the characters, I'm like, that when does that ever like holy shit, can you think that you have the ability to do that if you were twelve, thirteen years old? That you have to then quickly find a weapon. Your sister clearly has or your sibling, right? They have like a golf club that they already kind of done some damage. So you have to like randomly grab this weapon and says, okay, we have to kill people now? I will just and say domestic violence is a thing and there are children who live that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's just it's just yeah. crazy to, like, to, that he put this on the screen and these are just things, and again, I know we talked about it, but like, these are things that happen so quickly in the movie that it was like, oh, it's just, this is just normal. And this is just kind of a, a normal sort of occurrence in this particular, this movie, in this universe, in this movie, that again, much like your point, Ricky, that shit happens all, all the time, that it's kind of normal for somebody else, yet other people's like, fuck, that's crazy, that's fucking scary. To me, that's fucking crazy, that's fucking right. scary, but... Right. Oof, Did man, anyone like, think it was uh, weird that he could control his tether when, like... In that walk back scene, I was wondering what that was about. But that was yes. smart I, from him because he realized it early. Like, yeah, he spoke to his intelligence. For for me, that scene, like I, I guess, um, kind of brought home the point that this child is different. I don't know if he had a uh, a developmental disorder or was on the spectrum. I got the oh, sense that he was on the autism spectrum, but that difference that made him a freak, that made him an outlier throughout, like among that made him want to wear the mask and all that other shit. It made him connect, like understand and connect more quickly to the experience of the tether and realize that he could do something about it. Like, cause he wasn't thinking in the same sort of wavelength that everyone else was about this, the situation. Yeah, they were and also, who said, they who were said also that born earlier? differently, was, right? Uh, I mean, they're both, <laughs> they're, they're both C-section babies, you know, like that was, that was definitely yeah. like a, a yeah. valid plot point that it was like, oh yeah, you know, this is, this happened different than nature, you know? Right, but that in particular could be why he had uh, Jason had such a affinity or such a connection with Pluto, so that he actually kind kind of saw that. Well, um, I also saw that too, Mocha, early on when he was sitting at the table, not quite eating, running around, kind of getting. Um, that he was get actually kind of getting his toy, and so I was like, "There's something a little different with this kid," but I don't think it matters. It's just that he's different from then everybody else that's shown that we've seen in this movie. Yeah. Um, and he's able to do something a little bit different, which he was able to trick or not, I guess not really trick, but he at least kind of felt and kind of thought a bit more deeply and had a, a more of a connection with Pluto to know that it was a trick because they were going to blow up the car. And so identified that, his mom at the end as like being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think he also knew Realized that. that he is due or yeah. Yeah, I think he knew that when he first saw her kill for the first time, which was another scene, and then why the laws didn't work. Oh, I do remember, I remember that. Yes, yeah. I do remember that. Well, so we, she started we had grunting. a bit of a soul. Like, well, yeah. after she like, like, after they, she like stabs the one of the evil twins, and she started kind of grunting about it, and he he actually witnesses that, and that was the first time in this movie that one of her children actually saw her mother uh, perform violence their mother performed violence at somebody else. And so I think that's also pretty scarring too, but. Is it possible that he's could like, has a deeper connection with this tether because he's half human, half tether. They both technically are. 
right? Ooh. Yeah, that's tether, an interesting thing. tether would be it's possible. You know what I'm saying? They both would be, yeah. No, well, but yeah, also yeah, the daughter why, would why be, does, too. Yeah, is yeah, there a genetic difference to yeah. the tether and the surface dwellers, yeah. too? We, I think me and Bradley were talking about this yeah, were talking about this I think that's one of the interesting points is, like, why why Red says we are Americans and everything is that, yeah, they're trying to affirm, like, we choose as much to live here as anybody else. And, like, if... I feel like kind of Jordan Peele cleverly put this in to kind of like lead you towards like there might be some type of genetic difference between the tethers and the humans. And that like, so yeah, if you have these kids that are of diff- like tethered human relationships and or tethered surface dweller relationships that, oh, maybe there's some unique genetic difference now and everything. And I think that's kind of, he kind of leads you there to kind of like throw you off and say, hey, I mean, you thought about it the way that everybody else is going to think about it, not the actual way, which is like we're talking about humans, no matter if we're looking at tethers or the surface. So basically, had, babies are the future. <laughs> I hadn't considered at all the notion that they were both uh, that they were both half and half. And I think that's actually really poignant because of all of the tether slash un, like standard above ground human combinations. Uh, they were the only one, the only pair who had any sort of, at least like attempt at bonding or uh, something more experiential than just like violence and trying to kill each other. Like he went into the closet with him and it was still, there was this like tension there. There was, they were at the tip, uh, like like the, the edge of aggression, but they were still kind of having this moment where they were interacting with each other. They were mirroring each other. They were trying to almost play with each other it, with the, the tethered version of him trying to get him to strike the match to make a bigger fire for him. There was this weird bond there that I thought I didn't really think too much about in the moment, but that makes a lot of sense because they were both they're both they both share that that uh, ancestry, so to speak. And then the other thing that kind of led uh, I was also kind of going on is I was also you know sitting there kind of asking myself these questions of why Jordan Peele are you giving us a moment in which Adelaide is trying to console a broken back um oh, what's her name what's Zora's counterpart yeah. name uh Umbre Umbre yeah so she's trying to like kind of console her while she's dying in the tree because her back is broken. You can literally see her feet like right behind her and she's still trying to grab her and you see Adelaide sitting there like saying shh, shh, like trying to console her and at that point and like that was literally also something that was kind of throwing up some red flags to me of what is kind of, what's kind of going on here because she didn't do that to really any anybody else except her two children. And is it something to do with like a motherly connection? Because only mothers have that connection to <sighs> their own children. Technically, I guess they're still they are related, right? They are still her children or not. Lots of different things about that. But it was it was very interesting that these two characters, these child actors, which are way better than a lot of the other child actors that I've talked about before, um, it, they really brought a lot more just for me to sit back and just enjoy and this is a lot of stuff that i saw in the second second watch ricky i know you were talking like you were like um you know mentioning and talking about it before but i sat there and just looked at some of these characters and said this is ridiculous but it's just so good it's so rich with information that i can continue to keep watching more and more yeah i had i think that there's something to your reading there warren originally when i saw that scene of uh adelaide and aurora or whatever her name is umbre uh, umbre (laughs) Like like Aurora in the tree, umbre. <laughs> yeah. In the tree, I took I that like as 
the notion that what she was seeing when she finally had the moment to see this creature, this person in a non-threatening moment where she could just kind of analyze and think about what she was looking at, she realized that she was looking at her daughter. It was like a like a dirty, chap-lipped, ashy version of her daughter, but it was her daughter. And I think that she like there's this notion where like a parent will love their child so much, even if they do something terrible, they're still their child. And I think she I at least I took it in the moment as she was kind of reconciling that in herself that when she had the moment to stop and actually look at her, she saw her child and that that caused her pain that made her want to inherently like end that pain for her, not in like a murder sort of way, but in a in a yeah. loving sort of way. But she didn't pull out chapstick, so she wasn't that concerned with her pain. I was gonna say nah, she, she left that in the so, house. Like disappointed, not in the murder, but the ashiness. Yeah, I mean, I would be quite frankly. <laughs> I would be. Where does no the ash of mine? Wait, Bitch, if you don't leave this house with some lotion, I don't care what that you do. Was okay. Where's the ashiness? You saw her lips; they were split. She was dying. I just wasn't going to call her out like that beforehand. Like, yeah. with her, her split spine, but you know, if you want to focus on her ashy lips, that's that's a thing. <laughs> Listen, man. You gotta be able to tell them apart somehow. Mocha yeah. just put oh. on chapstick about 15, 15 minutes ago, so don't think we didn't notice, Mocha. Ooh. Yeah, because I take Mocha. Care of oh, I have like, been this entire time too. Yeah, but. I know. I saw you put <laughs> your chap. I saw you put chapstick on too, right when you started talking. I was like, oh shit. I gotta I guess I gotta <laughs> <laughs> But uh uh yeah, so I think there's also something interesting with Umbre is you see here and we see that Zora's doesn't want to go and track anymore. She wants to quit track, whereas Umbre's like re- relentless, right? She doesn't give up until the final breath and she's dying in the tree, right? So we talked about duality a lot. Um, and I think, I know Brylin also kind of mentioned this too. It's just crazy that it was like s- everywhere in the movie, it was apparent. Can, it was can I add, this is my last point for actually for story. So in current modern orchestral music, at least like art music type stuff, um, there's something that's really made a rise called harmonic dualism. And so, um, what that basically says is that you can get similar types of resolution that even though they sound completely different. So hang on one second. So the big thing is you have, you have, you have an A major chord right here. Hopefully the listeners are going to hear this. And so normally what you're going to get is an E7 chord to... See how that resolves nicely? It sounds like every freaking Bach PC over here. Modern, uh, a lot of modern take on this, you will have you do, uh, normally there's like a D major chord. So everyone's heard that in church a million times called plagal cadence. Plagal cadence. Uh, the modern version of that is called a uh, minor plagal cadence. So you have a A major chord to... And current theory is that that resolution right there from a minor four to a major one is harmonically similar to a major five to a major one. And so, again, this might be way more than what people want to listen to. Ryan Dowd. Actually, I, I think Ryan Dowd would love this Ryan part. Dowd would <laughs> yeah. get this. He was <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Derek so, Ryan so, Dowd, Derek Sun, this is your part here. Yeah, so, like, if you have this this point where, like, minor, certain minor chords reflect perfectly against major chords, and that minor versus major is essentially the same thing when it comes back to a single focal point, that's exactly what you have with the tethered versus the non-tethered. And that is a uniquely 21st... I mean, I'd say 2010s. Like, I, I really haven't heard of uh, harmonic dualism really being forced into the mainstay 
since 2013, you know, it is very, a very modern thing that I, you know, I'm not aware in the visual media as much. So I could not tell you if this is like, you know, paintings and movies, they do this much, but I know in uh, music, it is a huge, huge facet that people are arguing over right now um, about the resolutions between certain chords and certain tonalities and how if you change the tonality, but you change the, the structure of it and the chord uh, quality, it still means the same resolution as some completely different chord. Um, and we see that freaking perfectly with the tethered. Like, uh, it's one of those things that, like, you know, Jordan Peele is definitely aware of this, where it is a uniquely postmodern function where we see minor and major, dark, uh, light, bad, good, and they all somewhat revolve around the same axis, and that if you adjust your leaning slightly, they work the same way. Um, and so this movie, to me, perfectly encapsulated that, where literally at the end, which we're going to segue into that right now, but like literally at the end, we find out that our characters that we once believed were like the, the good and the bad were completely switched midway through their lives, and that like we suddenly had this very bad character that we realized was just doing a uniquely human thing and trying to take revenge, you know? And then we had this very good character that we realized was somewhat bad and was like basically forcing their way into a life they didn't really deserve. Um, and so awesome. Fantastic. Again, summary by wine, but the rest of it holds true. I, mean, I thought it was great. I mean, my, my brain hurts even more now. I didn't realize all the music stuff. So I'm like, shit, let's talk about the reveal. Let's talk about the, the impact of the reveal in the audience and how that impacted us. Because this was a bit of a, a twist. And by a bit, I mean, it was a twist. And so some people said that they, they saw it coming. I, I didn't actually see it coming. Uh, Blue, you kept going. So I'm actually going to call on you first here and see. Uh, what do you think about the actual reveal? And what do you think that reveal is going to have on the impact on the audience for you? How do you think that's going to be sitting well with other people who actually are viewing this movie? Because I would tell you right now, my second viewing of this was hilarious. Very different from the first because of that uh, reveal. And so that's what it was. I was curious to see about that. So what do you think? So my only unexplored concept on this is that I don't I can't imagine anyone saw this coming. Like I kept on waiting for one of the doubles to replace someone but I didn't think it was going to be the main character. And I thought it'd be sneaky too. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like somebody like, leaves off screen. And right. Come back. Right. I didn't mm-hmm, think it was mm-hmm. like a, from the moment we saw in the opening credits to now. No way. I, yeah. I thought it was, yeah. Someone get killed off screen and then, you know, two hours later they get revealed to be the bad guy. But like, you could not have seen that coming. Bryland, you're a liar. <laughs> yes, Brian, Brian, I can call people coming, out though. all left and right this pod. Brylon, what you got? Uh, yeah, so I did see this coming. Um, I think it was the just constant callbacks to the um, to the House of Mirrors is just what kind of like led me to that resolution. Was that they kept on going back to us because they've already established Adelaide was afraid of that moment that happened to her. So why keep on showing it to us? Unless there's something else that happened. So I was on to Adelaide not being Adelaide, kind of like right after the first meeting between Red and Adelaide. And when I started to see them interact with one another, I I started to get that feeling like 
you know what? Red sounds kind of like a someone whose education didn't go all the way. That was like stuck at like a certain grade level. That kind of like started to make me think about, oh, I wonder if she's actually Adelaide. And so that was, I mean, that was, I just put two and two together as the movie came along, but it doesn't really reduce how really cool this revelation is. And even though I wasn't personally surprised, I still think it's really cool to play around with this idea of people switching roles and living lives that are not necessarily uh, theirs. But even if it's someone that looked at an advantage and took advantage of it uh, at the cost of making somewhat being forcing someone to live a life they weren't necessarily wanting to live. So I've I've also heard like a lot of variations on what this uh, movie means because of like the switch and everything. Like I had I saw one of my friends post the other day, like this is my this is what I think us is about type of spiel. And like, they put was a lot it, of, was it Woody? Returns. No, it wasn't Woody. Oh, no. <laughs> um, they put a lot of, they put down like a spoiler section and everything. And then they said like, obviously the tethered are the Republican party. And then the surface dwellers are the Democrats. What? And like scissors were relations for guns and the red, Best were for MAGA hats and stuff. I was like, okay, wow. that's what you think it is. I didn't totally get that from this movie, but um, I thought it was that like is, that is next that, level projection, like, like yeah. unbelievably <laughs> next level <Yeah>. projection. <laughs> like, yeah, that's and, a reach, bro. You are clearly reaching there. Yeah, and what are they, the like, Knights okay. of the Veil? Because they live in the Reach. Got it. <laughs> oh my god. I thought I was the <laughs> I'm yeah, so was ready for Game of Thrones. Let's go. Shut but, up. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I mean, I personally took it as like, I mean, this is a matter of the haves and haves nots. I think anything, I, I started to think about it at the end a lot as like, are we supposed to empathize or sympathize with the tethered anyway? Are we supposed to accept them as the monsters, as the bad guys? Or is the evil that it's actually talking about here is just more how we treat one another? and that there's opportunities to treat each other better that um but i mean we do get that definitive reaction from jason when he looks at adelaide at the end he's scared of her he does not trust her in any way and it's like okay so the tethered are monsters question mark well he even puts his mask on because yeah. that's how he's being protected for him and then that was another and again i, I know yeah, let me get my monster out to Defend me against your monsters. They're not exactly. necessarily monsters. It's just more fear of the unknown. You know, it, it, it goes it goes back it, to that, like, you know, you ever They're monsters to them though. In the movie, they are monsters to right, right. each other. But I mean, it, this is but, a horror movie. This no, I know, but it, but it goes back to the the value that like people are afraid of what they don't know. If you've never so I'll go on my experience. I grew up in a town that was ninety eight percent white. I had one black friend growing up. Uh, there was definitely people in my town that have literally never talked to a minority before. And I could definitely see how they fall into the trap of like, oh, yeah, minority, you know, whatever, insert racist comment right there. So I think that is it's one of those things that like we as people somewhat fear what is not in our immediate circle. And I think that as we multiple people have said earlier in this podcast that. We are lucky enough to have a circle that is 
pretty broad. And I think that as people, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm not super well-adjusted, but it makes us well-adjusted enough. I know I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like, um, but where we feel comfortable talking to multiple people from multiple different social groups. And I think that certain folks don't because they don't have that experience. And that that's what that meaning or that moment meant to me where that he didn't understand what the tethered were as humans, as part of humanity. And so he couldn't necessarily relate to it. And that was Peel's send off of like, well, this is still going on. You know, it's, it's, it's a never ending battle. It's not like a, it's not like solved, right? Like we're good. We're, we can kind of move right. on to the next thing. Like it's ever evolving and it will, you know, show up sometime again when we don't know. Probably tomorrow. Uh, Rick, Ricky, talk to me about the uh, the reveal <laughs> and the impact on the audience and you. Yeah, man. I mean, for me, the the reveal destroyed me. Like, I there was a point where they were fighting, and I think it was before the really pretty fight. It was like one of the, in the house ones, and I was just like, "Fuck that bitch up!" Like, and vocally said that out loud in the theater. Um, and I was like, so like invested in this. Like, what is this? Like monster? Like, it just I, I was like bought in, and then to see like. At the end, I was already uncomfortable with, like, the degree to which she, like, killed her because, like, I'd seen the violence escalate and, like, thought what I thought was happening was kind of a commentary on the fact that, like, we can all become monsters in the right situation. Like, so I thought that's what she was turning into. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. But then to see, like, the foot, I was like, oh, my gosh, she's always been the monster. And then it made me think about, like, how my reaction to Red, I, I felt what I felt what he wanted me to feel. Like, it, it worked on me. Um, I didn't see it coming. Um, I was I will say that it made my like read on it being about um, people of color or about marginalized folks doing it to themselves even more poignant because it was like when you when she drug Adelaide down there she knew what was gonna happen right like when she came back for revenge you acted like you had no idea why she was there and like didn't say anything and you knew exactly why she was there um, and when you came to the surface instead of like leaving on your own like i don't know why you had to drag her down you could have just walked out as well as we know you both walked in independently so the fact that you felt you needed to throw someone behind to take what they had instead of coming out and like doing that there was just a lot of it brought a lot of ugliness to the movie that was good i liked it yeah yeah that's a good call out too uh mocha what you got yeah this has been an interesting conversation because I think that my initial thoughts while watching the movie and when I wrote up my notes may be different from where they are now, given the conversation that we've had. But initially, when I watched the movie and the reveal came at the end that Adelaide was actually red all along and vice versa, I was proud of her. I was like, yes, you fucking did it. She came out of being some little tunnel goblin, not knowing anything about the world. She saw her opportunity. She took it and then she seemingly grew into a good person. Like, as far as we can tell, she like Adelaide on like uh, was like a good mom. She had a job. She like she knew how to take care of herself. Like she she developed all these skills in order to take part in the world. And so I was like, hell yeah, you go Tunnel Goblin. You do the damn thing because you worked for it. But obviously now having this conversation, I realized that uh, maybe. uh there's a bit more, there's reasons for me to be upset at her for doing what she did. But I don't know. Initially, I was really proud of her. And I thought it was a really cool twist, you know, like uh, 
you go into a movie like this expecting there to be some sort of twist. And for me, the twist was that not only are there copies of the this family that we were introduced to, but there's copies of potentially everyone in the continental United States. Um, I thought that was the twist and that's where it was going. And so I was like settling into my seat. I was like, cool, let's just ride this one out, see what this conclusion was on. And that last final bit of info and was just like was just really, really like a solid, solid surprise. And um also too, I like the ambiguity with whether or not like the audience is left thinking, well, does Adelaide even did she even know when this film started where she came from? Because I think it's very clear that Red, due to her the trauma of her being dropped off and stuck in that place from such a young age, forgot who she was and where she came from. She speaks as if she was born there. She speaks as if that's the only life she's ever known. And like unbeknownst to us, the viewer, the only reason why she can speak at all and why every other uh, like uh, red jumpsuit person speaks in grunts and tones is because she was the only one who came from the surface world and had any sort of knowledge about language. And for Adelaide, I really wonder if in that moment when she was looking at her son, whether or not she was realizing for herself what the truth was in that moment too. Maybe she also convinced herself after all that time that that's where she was from and that's where she belonged, similarly to how Red did. And maybe it was even that much of a revelation for her. I don't know. Um, but either way, I thought it was a really, really well, well-deployed twist and so much more layered and well-executed than most of what M. Night Shyamalan has done since uh, The Sixth Sense. <laughs> so I knew I was going to hear that name at some point. I was wondering Loka, who was going to say it. It makes the moment where she doesn't want to go back to the beach even that more poignant, right? She, she's yeah. the only one that's ex- escaped the, the basement bunkers they've got set up. And she does mm-hmm. not want to get anywhere close to going back to that place. Where originally you thought it was just, you know, the cheesy scare, you know, like, oh, I got scared by some ghost or something. But that's Um, why I don't buy the idea that she lost herself. She knew exactly what she was doing the entire time. Like, she knew exactly where to run to go find her kid when she was, like, going to look for them. Like, she knew exactly what was going on. Which is funny, because I realized that in this podcast. Oh, really, Mike? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, for some reason, I was like, oh, that's the motherly instinct. She's going to find her kids. In this podcast, I was just like, Uh oh, yeah, no, she's been (laughs) there before. She knew how to get out. But even in that regard, let's just say... Oh, that's the name of the other movie. <laughs> I got you. Even in that, even that regard, just specifically for the her knowing where to go, she let's just say that she still thought that she was the original Adelaide. She still had those memories of seeing the other self in the haunted in the the Hall of Mirrors or whatever. So when Red grabbed the sun and disappeared somewhere onto the beach, the only place that made sense for her to go was for the, the place where that where it all started. So I would argue that at least there that there's that I don't I don't think y'all are incorrect. I want to believe that she knew the whole time because it makes her a more compelling character, I think. But the fact that Adel- the original Adelaide lost herself so deeply, it makes me wonder, like going back to what you said earlier, Ricky, the lengths that you can do to trick your mind into forgetting about where you came from in order to continue to uh, to proliferate the idea of where you are in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Like someone can come up from poverty. And go about living their lives and still walk by somebody on the street, homeless, begging for change and walk right past them and not give them a dollar out of their pocket. You know, like people can convince themselves that they that that isn't them anymore. Yes, but I I don't. So I think your read on Red is wrong. I don't think that she lost who she was. I think it's like the the trauma inflicted on her from being down there, like changed who she was as opposed to like Adelaide actually like 
altered, like is creating this deception, right? Like one is a result of trauma, one is an active deception. So I think we shouldn't equate those two things. Um, well, that's and, like, what I even the things like the speaking, like I didn't get that she was talking like them. I got that she didn't need to talk because they can't talk. So for her to talk was like a rough thing for her in that moment. So it wasn't that she like started grunting with them. She just like mm -hmm. was like, I don't need to say anything. Like I yeah, thought you, it was, yeah. You misunderstood. Of that. Sorry, at least for that last point, you misunderstood because what I was saying was that the fact that she was capable to talk at all is what separates her from every every other member of the tethered. So I wasn't oh, saying it. that she was trying to talk like them, got but it, rather that nope. exactly it. what you said, she hadn't had to talk for so long, but she could. Yeah. So she right. was different. Got it. Um, and ah, fuck, what was the first point? Yeah, I guess I'm not trying to argue too much for it because I still am of the belief that she that Adelaide knew all along. But there was something about what Red said. It was a combination of certain things. She said uh, that like it was when she said, why didn't you take me with you? I guess you could read it as like, why did you put me in your place? But just that was a really specific use of use of words. Like, why didn't you take me with you in that moment? Not why didn't you come with me or why didn't we live together? And I know obviously it's the dialogue is there to lead the uh, viewer on. But I just feel like Jordan Peele is so careful with how he uses his words or which what words he writes for his characters. And I well, got she, the sense that maybe she yeah, had been she lost in it as well. She, she could have kind of Adelaide out and just left her there in the Hall of Mirrors and someone else could have found her. She could have came back at any time yeah. of her, what, uh, we are assuming 27 through 33. She looks great, but she could have came back any one of these times and grabbed that her. Is, and that is that is a good point. Yeah, so tough for a seven-year-old to just walk out and her own, live her own life. Yeah, yeah. but so, at the same time, though. So okay, I'll give you all that. But then my last question in that regard is, if Adelaide, the real Adelaide, who became who got trapped underground and became red, uh, if she still had her memories of who she was, why didn't she ever just like walk out? Like, and maybe this is us talking about the plot holes thing again, but I think this is a legitimate question, right? Like she knew, like, there's no way that she didn't wind up in that place and didn't go exploring. And we also know from the, from the journey that they had coming into it at the climax of the movie, that the whole main hallway where they, where they were all located, wasn't too far away. It was underground where the carnival was. So it's not like she was far away from that escalator. Well, well she was so, handcuffed well, to the bed and we don't know for how long. She was also choked out and dragged down there. So we don't know if she even knows how to get back out because yeah. she was unconscious when she was taken down there and none of them can talk. And so, it's a bit of a that's trap fair, door. That was no. a trap door that Adelaide went in. You have to remember when mm -hmm. she where she was standing, there was a trap door that she, Adelaide knew where to latch out. I don't On necessarily the, know if... Well, then how do they get out in the first place? Because on the surface, yeah, exactly. On the surface, I mean, I think trap she door, but inside, it was just but an like, She has plenty of time to explore once she gets, you know, untrapped and, like, does her psychological self-care to, like, get some semblance mm -hmm. of the humanity back. Probably did some exploring, okay. found it, and was like, now I'm going to make a plan to get revenge because I'm so traumatized. But, okay. like, I could see her, like, easily not knowing initially how to get out. Well, my yeah, big, I my big plot that. hole, and to support Mocha on this one, actually, is that... Why? I know, right? We've been arguing all night. Um, so, but to support you is that it seems like the power dynamic goes person on the surface to the tethered person below. And so I think they somewhat muddled it a little bit with like the dancing scene where they were both dancing at the same time. But who was actually leading the dance? You know, was it... The one on the surface. Right. Yeah. But... Does that matter? Does the power dynamic change as soon as one person's above ground, one person's below ground? Because that was something that was definitely not explored. 
that where does that come from? Is the person who is naturally born above ground? In which case the person, uh, so red would have held the power dynamic over Adeline. And that would have meant that whatever she was doing below ground would have affected above ground. Or does it, whenever you, I think it's more about the environment than about them. And like, if there's something into them, I think it's more about the environment they're in. Yeah. And uh, then, but that doesn't Red even had a chance to like kind of break out of the cycle just because she was from the surface. Exactly. Originally. Right. Right. So you have that. Well, the other thing is that she was chained to a bed. So that should have meant that the tethered person was also chained to a bed, right? No, the tethered person chained her to, her the, to bed. the bed. I yeah. know, but, but. In speaking of like dancing, you know, one person leads, the other person kind of follows. And it seemed mm-hmm. to be the power dynamic was that the person from above ground dictated what the person below ground did. So how did how did that loop break? How did the person below ground change someone to a bed without being also chained to a bed? Well, when they're both in the same realm, then I think that may negate some things. I'm right, sure. right. Uh, but I, I, I do say that Mocha's, Mocha's point does have merit because that wasn't quite explored. Yeah. I mean, to, I, I think this goes to what I was saying about an hour ago where, like, it kind of doesn't matter. But also, it is definitely something that was not explored and definitely doesn't make any sense. You're just trying to kiss and make up with Mocha before the podcast is over. Oh, dude, I no. will kiss Mocha at any point. <laughs> you won't. Yeah, we started the podcast that way. Um, no, no, but I think, like, here's why I think that it's worthwhile to ask those questions about why I didn't think these, these things make sense. Because, like, Jordan Peele created a very compelling and interesting, um, like, sci-fi world with this, de- with this underground lair. And, like, because it's interesting, I want to know more about it. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to poke holes in it. I just, like... I'm compelled by it. Like, I want to know what's going on in this situation. Sure, there's a way to be... Go ahead. I was just saying, there's a way to have that curiosity, but you want to know about it to see how it fits or adds to the grander narrative, right? It's not like there are... We were saying that there are people who are using it to poke holes in the movie, and, like, that's the thing that you take away from it. So I think, yeah, there's definitely room to be curious about how deep the metaphor goes. Just, like, don't get lost on that, is what Mm. I guess I would say. And, Don't I lose mean, yourself all, like the way Adelaide lost herself after all those years in the underground lair. Being red? She became red. I mean, what was her name? Because we actually don't even know what her name was. Adelaide. Ooh, actually, that's a good point. We don't know her if that was fucking Adelaide. Was a child. Did they ever call her Adelaide we in the, the scenes with her parents no, before we, she goes into the room? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, we don't know. Yeah, she's name. like, will you watch your daughter? Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, you don't even know if Adelaide was her name back then. I'm assuming that she went by Adelaide assume, for most of her yeah. life since her parents raised her. <laughs> how was, um, I mean, they didn't even... And, I'm sure that's the name well. that her parents gave <laughs> I think the Are other you thing fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> yeah, no, we're not, not diving into my this. My parents did not raise me as Mocha. Like, is this actually First happening? All, say that right now. <laughs> yeah, because um, you're a fucking psycho. You made a moniker for yourself. That's what happened to Adelaide in the in the hole. Yes. And Red's name is so more interesting funny. because it is like that seven year old girl that grew up in that that yeah. system underground that she we, probably gave herself that name. Can we just appreciate she gave her that there was a red and a kitty? Like that's amazing, All I'm right? Saying, if this girl is a liar, liar, there was a red and a kitty. Like that seventy show. Oh, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, Kitty was played by Elizabeth Moss. All uh, I'm going to say is if Adelaide, in quotes, the one who took over on the world, all she was was a liar. So who knows what name she gave Winston Duke when they met at Howard University, wherever the hell they met. Who knows? She could be I mean, birthed. That's true. 
scammer. <laughs> She's a scammer. This adds on to our scammer culture right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also Her, interesting. Elizabeth um, Holmes, the president. Yeah. <laughs> scammer. Oh, jeez. Uh, it's also... Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Damn it, Ricky. Hold up. Uh, oh, Mocha. Mocha, your point as to know, uh, it was also a bit of a surprise to Adelaide to know that they were actually going back to the beach, which also made it seem like that's the first time since this switcheroo she actually went back to the beach because that wasn't the initial plan. They were only going to go to the lake in the water in California and not actually drive down there. And then she wanted to leave to make sure she leave before it gets dark. So I mean that also kind of there's there's some other stuff to figure if it, if the so if two of these vessels would be attached to the actual soul if that has something to do with their environment and the relationship of them going back to a particular location or so that they can to each other yeah so that's that could be what it elicited and started because the first time that they actually go and drive up to the beach was the first time that we actually see that guy die the Jeremiah eleven eleven mm. so yeah in any case. Has anyone looked up what that what that what Bible quote that is? By the way, yeah, it's yeah, all over it's Wikipedia. About, yeah, it's all it's everywhere. It's also yeah. all over the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Which is shade. I feel like I feel like if we were a better yeah. research podcast, we would know what that meant and have like some. Uh, but like, it's the easy mean, one. It's like, oh yeah, read some words and like. Spend time talking about scripture. So. <laughs> you never went to Sunday school. I want to I want to shout I want to give this quote though cuz I just looked it up and it's kind of cool given the greater context but okay. Jeremiah 11:11 11, 11, therefore thus saith the Lord behold I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape and they though they shall cry unto me I will not hearken unto them That's that Old Testament God the mean one Yeah Okay, so the my lasting thought was uh, of the uh, the reveal is I actually didn't know what was happening on the reveal, but it's amazing to sit in an audience that you know what's going to happen, and then it's all like a bunch of different light bulbs just uh, popping off and all coming on at the same time at the different times. It's absolutely amazing, um, and it's I I also wonder it's like man if. If people like, I, like, I wish I could like bottle up that excitement or bottle up whatever that is, because that's that's the reason why I don't watch trailers. So that's amazing. Uh, but I also was definitely saddened because it felt as though I was rooting for a quote unquote bad person, but at the same time was she bad? That's yeah. I'm having a bit of a a complex internally when I was watching a movie, even for the second time. I'm like, I. I Am I supposed to be even rooting for somebody? Is that the point of this? Like, what is the point of it all? And then I started kind of looking internally and see, man, do I need to actually try to treat people better? Um, like my friends better and my family and stuff, you know? Sure, yes. No? No? Treat like shit? Okay. So, you know, that's uh, <laughs> no. that, was just, uh, that was something that kind of came to me, right? That was when... It really was after I watched it for the second time. For the first time, my brain was hurting. For the second time, it still was hurting. But it was like at least coming to some of these kind of conclusions and saying, man, I actually kind of felt bad um, for the people that had to kind of – for people that these lives – I felt bad for the people that this movie is not a fantasy. Right. I felt bad for sometimes that people have to like live in some of these societies that we talked about, like domestic abuse, domestic abuse and maybe living on the spectrum and like, being kind of stunted or having some sort of PTSD for something like um, that was what I kind of went towards um, after the reveal. But more for the second time of like, man, that that stinks. And I made you know, aware of your privilege. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. and I'm and, I, and I know I'm like I'm definitely gonna like different. I'm definitely kind of uh, yeah. Um, but it's kind of a bummer because then as I and I know for sure, as this movie um gets further and further along, there's gonna be more and more and more information. And I, I'm I oh, know yeah. George Peel is gonna have a talk back. He's gonna have you know uh, backup stuff. There's gonna be other clips that was taken out and um. That's o- that's only going to kind of change my perception of it. So uh, mm. I'm I'm sure I'm still going to be surprised when more information that's going to be coming out and more people um, kind of watches it. So as long as he doesn't J.K. Rowling these explanations, <laughs> bro. Goddamn, J.K. What are you doing? Yeah, Mocha. A quick thing before we uh, head over to conclusions about uh, Jordan Peele in this movie is I love the fact that he's sort of creating. It seems so far a like a like a Jordan Peele cinematic universe where he references like lines of dialogue or movements or actions in his from his previous movie. Um, I don't know which ones you guys saw, and I hope that if you've got any different ones that you can bring them up. But two things that I noticed were one, he uh, redid the uh, oh no 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 line from Get Out, which was the line that uh, the maid says when she starts to have her freak out, and Winston Duke's character says it in the exact same way when he realizes that things are going weird with the people outside his door. Um, and this movie also had. Uh, a scene where when the little kid is eating cereal at the uh, the white folks house after they uh, finish like killing killing the people, he's eating the Fruit Loops one at a time, and that's exactly how what's her face from Get Out was eating the Fruit Loops With just dry no milk one at a time, no milk. And I love that there's these little details that he's carrying over from movie to movie. I have a slight beef with what you just said, and that is the idea. That this is a cinematic universe. I feel like that terminology is overused he has a distinctive <laughs> style in which he references himself in his other films but these movies are not connected in any way i i don't think they're connected ricky i was just it was a joke it was a did, a did allison williams have a bunny in her room Cone get out. no I, okay she was kind I'm of gonna basic. watch the, it would not i'm gonna watch that movie again wait and maybe she, she has did. a fucking bunny I am gonna send that to you right now, Ricky. Queen Anne. It won't change my opinion. <laughs> Don't gonna die. That's not a good opinion at all. <laughs> and with that, I didn't hope you die. I just said you should our... go do it. Okay, thank. I mean, we all will, right? We're gonna move into our final uh, conclusion. So, if we would recommend the movie, and if we would recommend the movie, what other movies should we see beforehand? Uh, Mocha, what you got? Yeah, I think that this is an incredibly strong follow-up to Get Out. Um, I think that for a wider general audience, some uh, like this ambitious world building is going to have some aspects to it that cause people to, as I mentioned before, kind of scratch their heads a little too hard and may take away from their enjoyment of the movie. But I do think that this movie is amazing overall. Um, and I also think that this film actually stands as the best possible proof of concept for Jordan Peele's upcoming tenure on the Twilight Zone series. Uh, this movie felt like a really long Twilight Zone episode, especially with the ending. And I absolutely cannot wait to see not only what he does with that show, but also how he continues to develop as a director and a writer. Ricky, what you got? Um, I mean, I loved it. I would recommend that people see it uh, without reservation. I just hope that there is no sequel. And I hope that he continues doing these one-off movies without feeling a need to like string everything together. Um, that, I, I, it's refreshing. I, I can't I couldn't agree with literally every point you just said more. Really hope they don't make a sequel to this. Uh Brylan, what you got? Uh yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh 
I mean, Jordan Pill has definitely proven that he is a filmmaking genius to this point. Like, I mean, he's got two great movies under his belt. Uh, I love the humor. I love the intensity. I love the way that his storytelling is just unique, whether it's visual or the narrative that he's approaching. Um, It's just very refreshing that way. I mean, definitely see Get Out along with this. I think uh, Get Out tells a more smaller focused story, but still some some of the same filmmaking themes are utilized in that movie as well. But also I'd like put this, like I think like the latest version of the movie, it would kind of complement this movie very well because it seems to be starting a trend a bit to like harken back to like 1960s like horror, like the more psychological horror, just more the thought-provoking stories with horror elements rather than let's see how we can scare you. Let's see how we can actually just play with your established beliefs and like kind of shake them up a bit, which I think is really cool. So I'm right there with you, Mocha. I can't wait to see what he does with Twilight Zone because I see like the latest version of it or Get Out or this movie uh, to be very similar like well done well produced twilight zone films so i want to keep on seeing this uh these interesting tales being told sure uh blue what you got yeah i thought this is better than get out uh hot take right there uh but i i was fully engaged the the entire thing um if you want to see a movie that somewhat captures somewhat of the same aesthetic i think do the right thing spike lee's like late 80s uh movie very similar where a lot of the characters were very morally ambiguous uh it was a drama but it had some funny moments to it um which i don't even think we really talked about through this entire podcast it's like seven hours long this, yeah. this movie was pretty funny right like there was some <laughs> it was really yes i yes yeah yeah, yeah so and i think that uh so if you want to get an analog that from a previous generation do the right thing is a very very good movie that parallels that just not as scary um, I would say definitely love the movie. Uh, Jordan Peele's an absolute genius. Um, I'd love for everybody to go watch this movie just so that we can have a conversation about it. I would also tell everybody not to watch anything before they watch this movie and don't look at Reddit or anything else that everybody else is talking about just so that you can have your unspoiler edition. And yeah, I know you're listening to this podcast, but it's okay. Uh, so you can have your uh, unspoiled uh, yeah. approach. Like this really, like super if awkward. you're not, yeah, if you're not entirely sure, even if you watched all this stuff, right, and even if you listened to our entire podcast and our entire review, and we could color some things that you may have been seeing in the actual movie itself, that may not even change your approach. You could entirely have an entirely different reading of this movie. And so, I don't care. Like, <laughs> it's like my, old, like my old folks. So, um, it was uh, something that I would say, definitely go check the movie out. Definitely go watch it and let us know what you think. And with that, I had to slip one in there, Ricky. We are the Undoubted Front Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining with us. We would say, Brylan, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me uh, tweeting across America at Brylan, B-R-I-L-U-N-D on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me posting many movie and TV reviews on Instagram at I am Bryland. Uh, I recently posted a little bit of a review on the docu-series on Netflix called Losers, which I found very good. 
And our special guest, Mr. Ricky, I'm actually sending you something right now that you're going to hate. Ricky, where can people find more of your work on the internet? It's a dick pic. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I don't have any other work on the internet right now. Um, You can find me at um, Ron period dangers on Instagram, but I'm private. So I probably won't accept your (laughs) without a dick Um, pic. Later. Later this summer, you can find me published in the American Psychological Association's Journal of Sexual uh, whoop, Psychology of Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity. So hard flex, hard, hard flex. flex. Oh, yeah. Boom, yeah, that works. Awesome. That works. Uh, definitely let us know. Send out that information once it is there. We'll post it up and show everybody. Mocha, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? Yes, you all can find me. Uh, doing fashion photo shoots of myself and my red romp him on Twitter at Mocha Mike L-I, uh, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me as Mocha Mike. The person who owns that username was dragged into the sewers by a more ambitious version of himself. And the new guy does not have the password. So until then, yeah. I'm at Mocha Mike L-I. You can also find me on Instagram at Mocha Mike, where I post some of my photography work. And at Medium, where I have a spicy little article coming up about Captain Marvel that you're going to see in a couple of days or so. So uh, check it out there at Mocha Mike. Spicy. Uh, Blue it, the Shredder. Where can people find more of your work? What you got coming up? Speaking of lack of spices, you can check us out. Uh, We have a YouTube channel that is just called Jesse Rand Eats Raw Animals. Uh, No spices, no cooking. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ricky's new to the pod. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jesse Rand Eats Raw Animals. It's a YouTube channel where Jesse Rand eats raw animals. That's it. Perfect. That's it. That's done. Uh, also, you can check my news out uh, on most major platforms. Uh, we should have a new single coming out next week, I believe. It's about taxes. They suck. Uh, so, obviously, the punk band wrote the song about them. So, check us out. We'll new song out. There you go. Yeah. Uh, check out more of our work at downinfrontpodcast.com. Um, that's where you're going to be able to find our video teasers, lots of tons of artworks. We do our last calls. We have our Twitch on there. We have our YouTube information on there. Uh, basically, that's going to be the best place to get any and all information from there. We have some Maya News uh, stuff up there. We have some Fear Boner stuff up there. And we have some Friends with Blend. So, downinfrontpodcast.com is where it's at. Uh, and like the kids say, it slaps, right, Blew it. Uh, on Twitter at underscore DAFP on Facebook, facebook.com slash down in front podcast. Reddit is done down in front dot reddit.com. Uh, we're actually on Spotify. So you can feel free to kind of find us literally we are ev- everywhere and anywhere on the internet. If you do search for down in front podcast, you can find someone that has the most episodes is going to be us for some strange and odd reason. There's a lot of imposters all of a sudden. So people like that name, but we've been doing it for almost four years, guys. Can you believe that? That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, that's that's mind-boggling. So, check out more of our work, downinfrontpodcast.com. Brylan, what are we reviewing next week? Next week, we are reviewing Dumbo. That's right. We're going to down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass, and we're reviewing a neighborhood in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how they're going to uh, approach these crows in the movie. That's my one thing. I'm already nervous. <laughs> 
was a huge thing, man. That was really fucked up. Yeah, so, I'm, bow- um, I'm bowing out of that conversation. <laughs> it's going to be Big Bird, but in blackface. <laughs> oh, uh, everybody, have a good night. See you later. Bye. See ya. Check out the Us Review on 8chan. <laughs>